When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. What did the five fingers say to the face? (laughs) They said, here's your Oscar. Hi, everybody. It is the 28th of March, 2022, and it is time for the show that slaps you in the middle of your own monologue about someone's alopecia. (laughs) It's morning combat. Hi, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm merely one half of your hosting duo, joining you from the capital of Settles and Neils right here in Washington, D.C., joined by the Viceroy himself of Connecticut until Gilbert, or excuse me, until... uh, Glover Teixeira loses his belt. He will be the king. It's Brian Campbell. That's a terrible intro, Brian. How are you? Yeah, that was great, Luke. Uh, I can only imagine how bad, how mad Will Smith would have been if they played that Hasselhoff video, Luke. You know what I mean? That would have been that would have been wild. You know what I mean? Well, you see, Maybe. you notice I did not get up and slap. Well, I couldn't because you were far uh, away. But even then, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't. Have I would. By the way, I would have taken that shit cold and hard like Chris Rock did. But more to come on that in the future of this show, Luke. We got a lot of actual fights to talk. Real fights. I know it's so weird. Everyone discussing well, it wasn't a fight exactly, but in a well, I get yeah, something of a violent incident. And it's like, dude, that's all we do for a living. That's all we do. We just talk about people hitting each other. So, um, welcome to the show. We have a lot to get to. UFC Columbus results. We're going to get to uh, the big one fight or, or on Saturday, their tenth anniversary. There was actually some pretty good uh, stuff on that. We'll talk about that a little bit. Obviously, no, most Luke, of that we're will... not talking about that shit at all. Well, hold on. You're I was just talking... about to say. I was just about to say, I'm gonna, I'm, we're probably going to push the majority of that to uh, extra credit. We're going to talk about Nate Diaz. We're going to talk about Tim Zhu. We're going to talk about a lot of different things here on the show. So thumbs up if you would be so kind. Give the show, give, uh, Subscribe to the channel. If you're listening on a podcast platform, give us a nice review. By the way, one of my uh, buddies and friends, he was my old producer. He's kind of a partner of mine on my personal channel. He wants me to plug my TikTok. It's at L Thomas News. You can follow me on TikTok <laughs> now. Uh, <laughs> what kind of content, Luke? Well, can the uh, could the good people of America and then beyond expect from your TikTok account? Flaming hot takes, BC. Uh, yeah. He's running that account. I haven't even opened TikTok. I was like, "You're young, just you do it." And uh, yeah. so he's taking it over. But he wants me to. He wants me to plug that L- at L Thomas News. BC, how was your weekend? There was a lot of fights. How, what did you do? Did you, you watch know, him? I, did you catch up this morning? I, I did a mix of Saturday night and, and yesterday. What a fun weekend. What a time, dude. What a time for fights. I mean, I could sit here and wax poetic on how great it is to be a boxing fan right now, and that would be true. But, dude, you know, coming off of a UFC London card, which was 
insane. UFC Columbus brought it. So uh, I'm pretty damn fired up across the board, Luke. Uh, it's it's snowed yesterday. It's cold again, but but we're almost there. We're almost breaking through. And, you know, why don't we – we should get RJ, our, RJ Dunkelmaker, our great merch maven, Luke, get him off of creating a January 6th line that I guarantee will be a seller and maybe get a red MAGA-looked hat and says – let make extra credit great again because Luke extra credits loaded today later today it is okay? loaded today yeah there's a lot to get to an extra credit so we'll have a fun time with that show for sure um want to remind everyone if you want to check out that merch that BC is referencing morningcombat.store BC our intrepid uh uh merch guy was telling us about a deal that I was not listening to because I was answering DMs on Instagram can you recall what he said yeah, look, uh, it's spring cleaning time in a lot of ways. Luke, my wife forced me to get rid of uh, half of my closet, and <laughs> the skeletons Ooh. and the clothing, Luke, uh, recently. But uh, we're doing the same at morningcombat.store. 20% off all the merch that we're trying to get rid of to make room for the newer and better stuff that's coming in, Luke. So if you've ever wanted to take a spin with our merch, and by the way, look at this hat. I mean, look at this hat right here. Uh, go to morningcombat.store right now. Some of that shit's going to be 20% off. You're not going to want to miss out, so so check it out. There you go. Of course, Showtime.com. If you had it, you watched Tim Zoo over the weekend. If you don't, you can still get it. Showtime.com. Get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can pound all of the sand uh bc we also have a great sponsorship from athletic greens which you know are you taking your athletic greens this morning which i know has become something of a morning ritual for you yeah currently on on show days i delay it a little bit so i could drink it during the show to show the people that here's the deal luke it's healthy for you it also tastes great it's got this fun tropical taste to it and you know what's more important luke it tastes clean and while we're all trying to clean up our lives, you know, a little bit more, get back into shape, not turn our liver dark black, um, it's not easy. But things like AG1, one little scoop per day in your cup of water, stir it up. It's a great way to start things out with so many nutrients, so many um, gut healthy ways to turn your body and life around. Luke, my wife always tells me what you start your day with is what you crave the rest of that day. So why don't you crave good shit, Luke? Yes, I don't know how true that is, but I like the way that sounds. That sounds a little too simple, but it, it motivates me just the same. And that's like, your point. Looks like, oh crap! I start my day with adult films. <laughs> I mean, that's just you know, that's 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 uh... no, no wonder I'm watching that during work hours. Uh, but in all truth, you know, you don't have to take a bunch of pills, or you know, it's easy to consume. It actually tastes pretty good, of all things considered. In BC, lifestyle friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy free, or gluten free, contains less than one gram of sugar. No GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything, while still tasting good. And look, you want to talk about cost? Less than three dollars per day. So, look to, to be healthy, you've got to invest. You got to t- put time, energy. And less than $3 a day to invest in your health, it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. Taking Athletic Greens is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. Absolutely. And uh, you want to know if anyone else likes it? How about 7,000 five-star reviews for Athletic Greens, which is also trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss, Michael Gervais, and I'm hoping coming soon, Luke, Joe Rogan. That's what I'm hoping, okay? Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. 
And to make it easy, you want a little bonus on that? How about this? Athletic Greens is going to give you for free a one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash morning combat. All right. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash morning combat to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. With that in mind, BC, let us begin the rundown. We start with topic number one, and we start, of course, with UFC Columbus, uh, a sellout crowd, by the way, with a huge gate. I think it had $2 million or so. An incredible performance that UFC is having these days. I mean, they just can't miss. But Chris, excuse me, Curtis Blades, BC, he actually ends up KOing Chris Dawkins in the second round. Didn't shoot a single time. So my question to you about this is, we knew that Kyle Dawkins had... Or, yeah, you know, sorry, we knew that Chris Dawkins had more to gain than Curtis Blades did with a win. But the way that Curtis Blades won here, I'm going to call this something kind of close to, not quite, but pretty close to best case scenario. Is that fair or not? Absolutely, it's fair. And I think I just want to correct what you said. Did 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 Chris Dawkins have more ceiling uh, to, to make a leap with a win here in terms of us taking him seriously, him being thrown into the top five potentially, absolutely. But Blades is a lot closer, Luke, to a title shot, whether it be the full one or an interim one. And this was absolutely the performance he needed to restore that confidence in us, maybe even in him. And it's the method that he did it. You heard the announcers during that broadcast say what I think a lot of us were thinking for that round plus that that fight went on. Not only did Blades not attempt to take the fight to the ground, he didn't even use the threat of his takedowns to do that. This was all about him trying to prove, I think, that you know that negative narrative that followed him following that last big Hulk up that he had, where he looked like he was title contention ready legitimately, and then, of course, he suffered that knockout loss. And even though he did bounce back with a strong win, we've been looking for this performance. In fact, Luke, this is exactly what you said last week when we set the table. I want to see offense, and I want to see emphatic offense. And to hear the comments from Blades afterwards at the in the post-fight interview, the press conference, you know, he took to heart the criticism. He took to heart people saying, even at 31, even with the resume he has, even that he's only lost to the very elite sluggers, you know, in key moments in this game, uh, is he well-rounded enough for this? He's heard that chatter. And what did he do, Luke? He stepped in there and put on a a a one one-dimensional performance, but it was the dimension he really needed to round out and show us that he's got. I loved it. I not only loved the setups, I not only loved the power, but Luke, outside of a couple right hands in the opening minute to set his bearings, Blaze's defense was also very much on point. I know he took a right hand to land one to set up the finishing blow in round two on Dawkins, but for the most part, he was swiveling nicely. His defense was sound. Luke, for him to legitimately contend for a title... Curtis Blades is going to need that threat of his boxing. This was the performance, I think, that showed you at 31. It's still in him, and his story not close to being done in terms of the the, the UBL, the upper bound limits. Hmm. I think you're dead on the money. I mean, you know, it's funny the way you put it because you're right. It was one-dimensional, but in the larger perspective of Curtis Blades, this was something of, the most amount of dimension because we already knew he could wrestle. We already knew he could, you know, f- fire takedowns off. I mean, he's on the top 10 list, I think, 
for the total amount of takedowns ever secured in UFC history per, per an individual fighter. Like, we already knew that. And we knew he could strike a little bit. We didn't know he could necessarily do this. And so in rounding out the broader picture of Curtis Blades, I think you're right. Boy, he needed something big to pump some life back into the idea that Curtis Blades was a guy, not so much to make the deep, deep insiders, but maybe the fans, maybe the matchmakers a little bit too, right? Like, uh, you know, I've had conversations over the years with many matchmakers, and one thing that, you know, this sounds kind of obvious, but when you hear it enough from their mouths, it, it, it really begins to stand out to you. They put a high premium on guys who deliver. They do. They they just absolutely do. I know that sort of stands to you know in, in reasons, but like it does you way more favors than you realize when you can do something like this. And when I say deliver, I don't mean just action, but outcomes. He had both here. This was in no way a boring fight. First round wasn't like the most exciting, but it was totally fine. And of course, he beat him. I think seventeen seconds into the second round. And by the way, he did it after switching stances, then stepping out and creating a lane for his right hand. Like that's it's pretty sophisticated. I know he ran into one, but he was there first. Um, that kind of thing happens all the time in MMA, and so usually the one who was quicker to the draw, a la Dan Hardy, you know, uh, Carlos Condit, usually wins. And it was a little bit, it was a little bit like that, somewhat different. But the point I'm trying to make here is he showed a lot of sophisticated ability, and I think did exactly what he needed to do to, of course, stay on the winning path. But to get folks to realize, to your point, BC, which I thought was just totally the right way worded. This is a guy who has been kind of forgotten with the tie to Ivasa's coming along. And the Asirogan didn't win against um, Francis, but he has you know, asserted himself in that division. And, of course, um, uh, the gentleman, uh, Tom Aspinall, as well. This was Curtis Blades being like, wait, 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 wait. Those guys are good, whatever. I am not even close to done yet. And it also should be noted, BC, one more point I want to make here is we already knew this to be true, but look at what Elevation fight team has done with a guy like Curtis. Now, Curtis puts in the work himself, and he's the beneficiary of good coaches and good training partners and everything else. But they have taken a guy who was just a wrestler, basically, and they have molded him into what you see today. Dude, if he can build on that, because he's not done. By the way, that's the part we should note here. He's not done yet. There is still more development that needs to happen to get where he needs to go. But in terms of just pumping energy back into his contendership, BC. Oh, yeah. I thought this was a this was about perfect. About I mean, you're right. We weren't talking about him at all, and there were reasons for that. And just quickly to double down on the stat you mentioned of Curtis being the uh, record holder of the most successful takedowns in UFC heavyweight history, our, our, on the our list. trusty, our trusty producer uh, Michael Mormile uh, saying that first in takedowns in heavyweight history with 62 Jesus. successful is Curtis Blades. Second place, Cain Velasquez with 34. Luke, wow. Okay, I mean he's a wow. shooter. Too soon, I know. But here's the deal, Luke. Um, the the key thing you said the most was the matchmakers. We can't forget, Luke. I mean, I'll just let, I'll just let it linger. Okay, it's it's like Luke walking through first class, right? Just crop dusting all the other people. Just let it float away in this tube here, Luke. Okay. Um, here's the deal. I mentioned it last week, and I think it's true. Curtis had a lot going against him, and it all happened around the same time. And Luke, you can blame me. I interviewed Curtis ahead of the, the Volkov fight. I'm the one who st stirred the pot and said, what about fighter pay? John Jones is talking about it. Do you really think you're taken care of? And remember, Curtis, you know, was like, no, I'll, I'll be the one that talks about it. No, they're not. So what happened, Luke? You get on the wrong side of Dana White when that happens, and Dana White shat all over him. Then Curtis goes out against Volkov and sticks to the wrestling unapologetically and is just like, this is how I'm going to fight. You're going to have to deal with it, which, look... You know, John Fitch eventually got a title shot 
Sometimes it takes 10 wins to get a title shot in this game, but you're only really going to get pushed and get the opportunities you need to match, you know, when you're rising if you have the matchmakers and the company behind you. And I think also in that fight, Luke, if you remember, Blades also kind of gassed out in this in the championship rounds there, got the win, but it was really unimpre- unimpressive. That was his low moment, if you will. He needed that. He needed the loss, the recent knockout loss, but he's so young, Luke, and yet so big. Look at where he is size-wise. You're not going to handle him on the ground. He's not easy to 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 be to knock off his feet. Really, the greatest, you know, some of the greatest strikers in this sport's history have been the only ones to stop this guy. He really might be the complete package to make a run at a title. Yet he needed to fix a few different things. And that's why this performance was so impressive. It, you can see where his confidence is now. You can see also where he's not just going to go out there and say, you know, I'm going to lay and pray and you're going to have to deal with it. You, you're not going to do that. You're not going to do that against the very elite in this game. So I'm happy for him because Curtis Luke, his personality is quiet and humble, but he really has a good backstory of overcoming and stuttering and all that. I mean, it's inspirational um, in a lot of ways. It, it, it felt good to see him get this win. It really did at the end of the day. It did. And, I, and the, you know, one little lesson we should take here is I remember I, I lived through the beginning, middle and end of John Fitch's run. And I remember there was a, two big complaints against John Fitch. One was, when are you going to fight Josh Koscheck, which never happened. And the other one was, okay, you know, can you win in a way that's a little bit more exciting? And John's point was always, and, you know, in theory, he was right. In theory, he was right, which is if I keep winning, what else does it matter? You know, but the truth is, man, the game, well, that, first of all, he did get a title shot, but there was two lessons from it. One, it took forever to get one. And two, he don't, I don't think he ever got another one, right? Because they were just not going to do any favors for him because they felt like fairly or unfairly, he wasn't doing them any favors. But the other part too, BC, is it's not fair in some kind of general way to say, oh, a wrestler isn't exciting enough. You need to learn how to strike to entertain the fans to progress your career. You can say that's like a reality, but it's not all that fair. But the truth is, even though John Fitch got the one title shot and he got whooped by GSP, you know, he had other tough fights along the way. And he obviously was well-rounded to an extent. I don't want to say that John Fitch was, you know, single-handedly only doing one thing. But the point I'm trying to make here is, while it is unfair to put pressure on guys to win a certain way or to go to skills that aren't natural to them, the ones who actually do that process and do it completely or at least as thoroughly as they can, I would actually argue tend to go a little bit further. The game does seem to reward some of that in the end. So you can play this sort of situation like, hey, man, I'm a wrestler. This is how I win. I'm dominant. If you don't like it, fuck off. And I understand that. I completely understand that. I, 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 it, fighting is difficult. you got to win the best way that you can. But the ones who can respond to those professional pressures to do a little bit more not put themselves in unnecessary danger, BC. That's not what I'm talking about. But to really work on your craft, to make it something usable in a fight, in this case, a main event, to propel your career, the game will just be favorable towards that. The matchmakers will be favorable towards that. The fans, the the promoters, the, the sponsors, it, the rewards for it are so significant that I think ignoring some of those incentives ultimately holds a fighter back. So while I appreciate... You know what John Fitch did in his career, and he was a great welterweight, to be very clear, in some ways very much underrated even after all he did. I will say that Curtis Blades trying to go further than that, further than he necessarily needed to in some ways, I suppose, um, to get the most out of himself while he could to answer some of those questions. Maybe he shouldn't have to do that, BC, but that he did do it, 
I think is going to be a huge reward when it's all said and, and done. And you look at the timing of doing that. Now, first of all, like let, let's give him full credit. Chris Dawkins' skill is doing that, is standing in there and, and boxing and throwing combinations and big punches. So he went into Chris Dawkins' strength and beat him at it. That's what I love first and foremost. But the timing of it, Luke, the season right now, Francis Ngannou is your heavyweight champion. We obviously don't know about his contract or UFC future. Oh, by the way, with the knee surgery, all that, he's going to be out for this whole year. Luke, it's time, I think, to put together a matchup for the UFC Interim Heavyweight Championship. And you know how slow I am to to try to say, okay, UFC, throw an interim belt out there. We don't even know if Ngannou's going to fight again with the UFC. So talk about the timing of this performance for Blades. Exciting, well-rounded. Luke, he called out Cyril Ghosn afterwards for an interim title shot. Then D- Daniel Cormier sort of led him into because Stipe Miocic was in the building taking pictures with fans. He respectfully called out Stipe and said, I want to be like you. And to do that, I'm gonna have to, I might have to beat you. What is the next move, Luke, for the UFC? Do we do an interim belt? And what is the matchup? Because I got a bunch of names. Ghosn, Blades, John Jones, Stipe Miocic. That's four people for one matchup and two belts, Luke. Or one belt, excuse me. Well, John Jones, I don't know what he's doing. Um, we'll talk about him a little bit later, but uh, I, I don't know I don't know what to make of him. Obviously, when he decides to go to heavyweight, that will be of major consequence, but it's just hard to plan a calendar, right? Like, Curtis Blades is actively competing. As far as we know, Gon is actively competing. The champion just had surgery and is rehabbing, but is still, well, we'll see what happens with him, actually. I don't even know what's going to happen with him. But to answer your question, BC, you've got Tuivas out there, you've got Aspinall out there, and you've got now Curtis Blades reasserting himself. What's the best way to do it? I still believe, and I'm, I know that people want to make different fights for different reasons. So all I can tell you is a fight I want to see that I think would still be valuable for the division. I, I would like to see what he called for, maybe not for an interim title per se, but certainly I would like to see him fight Cyril Gaon. I think the way in which... Curtis Blades won this fight, plus what we knew from before, which is, dude, there's not a lot of guys at heavyweight. There's a lot of guys at heavyweight who can wrestle defensively and offensively. But there are very few guys who, when Curtis Blades wants to fight the way that he has previously, which is just kind of like relentless takedowns, now maybe he could be a little more careful about them. That's an interesting, especially in a five-round contest, you know, experiment. I want to see Cyril gone pass based on what Francis did. I'm not saying Francis is some kind of slouch, even though wrestling is in his native skill necessarily either i'm just pointing out like the kind of threat that curtis blades poses i, f- I feel like gone should have to pass that before we sort of figure out what else is next for him and if you're blades and you beat that you beat the guy who's ranked number one that puts him back in front of francis or whoever ends up being there on the other end um in a very important way although i recognize that doesn't necessarily solve all the problems about interim titles and and, and champs and whatnot do you think there's enough star power in gone versus blades for an interim title to be worthy or does that not matter at this point gone's proven himself to be legit despite having just lost but i don't know because, i don't know because, because the thing is gone make... just lost a title fight like putting him back in an interim one it's kind of weird you know well, that's why it, you know look you did we mentioned basically six names right here right atop the division that that we have that need that need big fights this year. If we do what you did, Gone versus Blades. God, I love that fight. I love the style contrast. I want to see it over 5 rounds and Luke, again, it's rare that I get excited or feel there's a need for an interim belt, but I think that should be for the interim title. And then here's what you have to do next. 
Again, Luke, they don't pay me to matchmake, but I'm willing. John Jones's heavyweight debut against the greatest heavyweight champion of all time, Stipe Miocic. It sells itself as a pay-per-view main event. And if I'm the UFC, I don't give John everything he wants. But look, like, I meet him a little bit. I pay him for this debut, right? I mean, it's Stipe. Dude, we're there for that fight. It's huge. And then, Luke, how do you like these apples? Tom Aspinall versus Taito Ivasa to find out who really does have next? I mean, look, it kind of matches and sells itself here, okay? What if, what if you did this? What if you did Curtis Blades versus Stipe? You could put an interim title on that one because Stipe, for folks who may not know Francis, obviously champion, so then the, the ranking would be as it stands, and we haven't updated since Saturday's fights. But as it stands, Cyril is at number one, Stipe at two, Taito Ivasa at three, Blades sitting at four. You could do Blades versus Miocic, and that would be... here Because here's the thing, BC. Here's one thing that I'm doing. In my mind, I'm like reserving Stipe Miocic for John Jones's return. Because that, to me, would be one of the more important fights that they could make, maybe, frankly, in UFC heavyweight history, at least non-title. Or you could put a title on that one, too. But the thing I'm saying is I'm not denying Jones the opportunity when he decides to come back. But, dude, he hasn't fought in two fucking years. Like, why are we holding Stipe for John? If we don't even know when John's coming back, let's put Stipe in rotation with the people who are already there. Do you do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I do. But uh, I also wonder if those fights play out the way you and I just said, I think UFC ends up putting the interim title on the Jones-Stipe fight to make it even bigger. And I think yes. they say, hey, Gon yes. and, and Blades, like, thank you very much, but we don't need you for this at this moment. And then, Luke, tell me if I'm getting real cray-cray here. Couldn't you separate, if you're going to do John versus Stipe for the interim title, would you want to then, instead of Blades gone, make Blades and gone fight one of Aspinall and Tuivasa? You could Is do that, that more too. Let's see, picking off, picking off both contenders. Like, people are like, oh, we don't want contenders to fight each other. But it's like, okay, fine. But if you did Aspinall versus Tuivasa, at least one of those contenders emerges if you do Aspinall versus X and Tuivasa versus Y, it is at least potentially possible that both lose, <laughs> in which case you're like, eh. <laughs> you know, yeah, so there's fair. a little bit of a risk there. Yeah, it's fair, Luke. It's it's fun, though. And and think about it. It's not often that we have a deep heavyweight, deep, deep-ish heavyweight division where there are at least, tell me if I'm wrong, there are at least five UFC heavyweights right now that you think legitimately could be champion in a year. So that we know Francis could be because he is. I think Gon could do it. Um, could Stipe do it? He sure the fuck could, Luke. Let's put some respect on it. You yeah, know, he been, could do it. I've been yes, disrespecting yes. him his whole career. Let's put some respect I, I would, back on I would bet. Name. I would bet on Francis to win another fight. But yes, you're right. Like It would be foolish to say he couldn't do it. Okay. So then you need two more. Aspinall and maybe Blades. Yeah, you know what? Uh, Taito Ivasa, I do think, is very, very good, but I'm, I don't know that he, I see his upside as quite as high as Aspinall and Blades. I think has yeah. you know lost to Derek Lewis, and I realize Ty beat him, so there's a little MMA math involved. But would you pick Ty to beat Curtis Blades? I, I would pick Curtis Blades to win. Dude, that's a great fight. That's, that's a, a great, great fight. freaking fight. Seriously, that's a great. That's and a- and they're currently ranked right next to each other, three and four. Oh my God! Let's do that in a stadium in England. Good God! You know, Luke, I, I, you know, I could do some consulting work for matchmaking. Seriously, seriously, okay. I'll say this: the top six or seven at heavyweight is fun right now. Yeah. You've got Francis, Cyril, Stipe, Ty, Curtis, Derek, Tom Aspinall, and then you got Volkov sitting at seven. Even he's still pretty fun. Everything I just listed up there, all of the, and by the way, I haven't even mentioned John Jones. Throwing John Jones there. 
all of those permutations. There's a lot of fun you can have with that. Like there's there's some decent fun to be had at heavyweight for okay, sure. Okay, heat check moment. BC heat check moment. I'm just heaving him in. Remember like Steph Curry in warm-ups from like the tunnel and he's just waxing it? If Francis comes back to the UFC and stays here, are we walking into right now the golden era of the UFC heavyweight division? The most maligned, up and down, inconsistent division wow. in this company's history. We know, Luke, that that little window when Kane, JDS, Verdum, like that was, you know, Lesnar, that was a fun time. But we've never really had more than two to three guys with a pulse at one time competing and fighting each other. Are we entering something truly special here, Luke? We might be. We might be. You know, as as MMA goes, I mean, MMA heavyweights have had some great moments. And a lot of times when folks weren't looking, you know, um, early UFC when you had Pedro Hizo versus Andre Arlovsky or Couture versus back when he was before the war master, the babyface assassin, Josh Barnett, those were not on the same level, but those were pretty fun days. Um, there was a bit of an interesting battle, although obviously UFC was much, much, not nearly as good when it was pride versus UFC kind of heavyweight theoretical battles when it was, you know, 2004 when Fedor fought Crow Cop. I mean, that was a pretty great heavyweight era, but I think what I'll say is this BC one, as good as Fedor versus Crow Cop was, and those guys are true heavyweights. These are like true heavyweights. These guys could not make 205. In many cases, Dawkins notwithstanding, but certainly Blades, gone, that kind of thing, could not make heavy or light heavyweight if their lives depended on it. And the other thing I would say is we celebrated Fedor versus Crow Cop in 2004 when it happened, 2005, whenever it was, at the time as being like really great. I mean, they had sold out. There was like 90,000 people there when they watched it. This era, I think you were right to point out, very maligned, very maligned heavyweight era. All oh, heavyweight MMA is just bullshit. And, you know, relative to bantamweight, it isn't nearly as good. That, that's a fair point. But I think relative to how maligned it is, when you actually compare about how fun and good it could be, I, I think this era stands in a fairly unique spot. Well, also, look, it's just it, it took a while for that division to evolve to the standards of the modern game. I'm not here to crap on... Tim Sylvia as UFC heavyweight champion or, you know, a young Arlovsky or Rico Rodriguez. And of course, you know, I, I tend to sometimes overinflate Randy Couture's true value. But, you know, you look back on those guys and, and you see how limited they were. And typically, sure. look, because they're bigger, heavyweights tend to be less skilled in comparison, which is why we spend time debating pound for pound lists. But, dude, that's changing, right? From Nganu to Aspinall to, you know, up and down. I mean, Stipe even, why is he considered, you know, the most decorated, greatest heavyweight in UFC history? Because he's be really, in a lot of ways, was so perfectly well-rounded and tough as nails that it was like a new era was upon us. So, yeah, Luke, I think, you know, and while you mentioned Fedor and, and Krokop, right, that wasn't UFC, and I am talking specifically UFC. This really could be something special, but we do need Francis to re-sign and we do need him to get healthy. And then every fight from here on out afterwards is going to be a blockbuster, Luke. It really will be. I mean, when you got this uh, many capable names. So I just got myself really excited about this. No doubt about it. Okay, so we go to uh, now point number two, topic number two. We stay with UFC Columbus. How about this? We'll talk about Alexa Grasso and everything else. We got to talk about this one for the flyaway title. Although in either direction at 125, there's going to be an implication here. We'll talk about Kai Kara France defeating Asker Askarov. BC, I mean, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. See if you agree with me and then take it from here. That, to me, 
while he had a knockout against Cody Garbrandt in his previous fight, Kaikara France did, for me, this was by far the most important fight of Kaikara France's career. And I'm going to say this is the fight to me where he showed far more well-rounded ability, not just in terms of you know wrestling versus grappling versus striking, but in mixing them, in strategizing, in everything. I was super impressed. Was this the best performance of Kaikara France's career? Okay, let me answer that first. Yes, it was. At 29, he's put it together. He had a couple early UFC losses. We know of the pedigree. We know of the gym's pedigree. It, it really what I'm saying there. But, Luke, he has lived up to the reputation of that gym on this three-fight win streak. Is this more impressive and important than, than a suspect Cody Garbrandt moving down in weight? Absolutely. Because Askarov is that dude that we talked about last week. And I said, you know, this might be the best flyweight in the world right now. We're going to have to find out what happens in this KK France fight. So to answer your question, yes. But before I'm ready to fully celebrate Kai uh, Car France with you, I got to ask you this, Luke. How about I not ask you? How about I tell you? I don't think he won this fight, Luke. I mean, oh, I don't fuck off. I, I, you I gave him the did. third round. First, okay, so let me just see this. First Dude, round to Askarov. First, first round Askarov. Hold on, hold on. First round Askarov. Yeah. Second round, France, right? So you're giving him the third. Give me the case for the third. So here's the case for the third. So am I saying it was a robbery? Absolutely not. This was a great, not a great, it was a very good close fight between two guys ranked two and six that are among the elite core of this fun as shit division flyweight, okay? But here's the deal. You nailed it. First round, Askarov all the way. Second round, Kaikar France put on a striking, you know, display. Here's the third round, though, Luke. Askarov gets the early advantage by taking him down and then getting to the back and, and, and threatening a submission again. And he, he was doing the backpack thing a couple times in this fight. No, he didn't get it. But obviously, Luke, when you are putting the threat on of a submission, it's part of the criteria for scoring a fight. I know in the final two minutes, and I do give Car France for credit for being so poised, he didn't, he didn't rush it. You know what I'm saying? Like, the clock's ticking down, but he didn't rush it. He put together a couple punches, yes, but Askarov was also countering clean and had a big right hand of his own in the final minute that when you're doing the math scoring the round for yourself, did you like Cara France's striking in the final two minutes a little bit better than Askarov's? Yes, I did too. But you do have to weigh in taking him down and once again taking his back in that quick transition. I saw an Askarov that was trying to win the fight constantly. I think it's close, but I think there's a strong case for 10-9 Askarov in that final round. And I think the fact that all three judges went 29-28, it's like, would I have felt better if it was a majority or a split decision and KK France still wins? I don't know, Luke. All I'm saying here is I'm not crying robbery. I'm not trying to back up my prediction that Askarov is that dude. He still may be that dude even with this loss, although... Let's be critically fair. I want Askarov to be a little bit more aggressive striking-wise than he was, but I think he was surprised by how good Cara France's striking was. You know, I just think, Luke, at the end of the day, it was more of a flip the coin on what you preferred in that third round. I don't think it was slam dunk because Cara France landed two clean punches in the final couple of minutes that he automatically wins that round. I just don't I mean, think MMA, MMA fans, uh, in, there's, a, there's a subset of them in which I would put you in that, in that category who are not willing to attest to the meaningfulness of leg kicks. Um, let me read you some stats here. Here's why, here's why I can't give him the third round. Now, I grant that the backpacking has to count for something. I give you that. This is why Askar Askarov won the first round. 
his control time, right? Three minutes and nine seconds, two sub attempts with a takedown. Quantitatively, he only landed three strikes, but Kai Car France only landed four. So it's basically neutral there. And then you have all of this other stuff that happened on top of it. Okay, he won that round. Fast forward to the third. He has one minute and seven seconds of control time, which is good. That definitely counts. I'm, I, I recognize that's real. Zero for three on takedown attempts. He had 12 significant strikes to Kai Kara France's 23. I grant that it was a bit of a right hand there, and I grant that he had the backpack. The problem with Askarov in my fight, in the, or sorry, in my mind in this fight, even in the first round, he won on control, uh, control time. He just wasn't putting a lot of dynamic offense behind the control positions. He was kind of going for subs. They weren't, they were kind of close at times. They weren't really all that close. I thought the hand fighting from the back was really good from uh, Cara France. And then on top of it, at distance, he was getting leg kicked to death, um, at least relative to what Askarov could do. I went back and I watched that third round again this morning just to be sure that I saw it the way that I'd seen it the first time. And yeah, dude, it was pretty clear to me that he did it. Askarov was trying, I grant you. I think that layoff kind of hurt him a little bit. I think oh, that sure. layoff where he was off for like a year or more, he just seemed a little bit not fully putting all of his pieces of his offense together. So what I'll say, I'll pitch it back to you, BC. I'll say this. I think that was not Askarov's best performance by a yes. long shot. I think he'll, you know, when he gets back and gets in the groove, I think this he's going to see some people at the top of this division again. But on this night, Kaikar France stuffing two of 14 takedowns, preventing Askarov from doing anything meaningful with control positions and then really not giving that much of it away in the third round relative to what else he had done for me makes him the clear winner in the third. Right. And I know it's easy to say, BC, you're crazy because Kai Car France had the biggest moments specifically in that second round. He had huge moments, obviously not enough for a 10, eight round, but you know, th that stands out in your mind that when you're going, okay, am I really going to split hairs when I saw this guy land the better shots? Well, you know, I, I think in that third round, it, it ends up being a coin flip, but I get what you're saying. You would have loved this to be a five-round fight. And I think that's the only argument I make from time to time is if it's a borderline or an actual number one contender fight, I kind of want that to be a five-round fight because it's supposed to prepare you for a title. And, the, you know, there's situations where there's people that are end up in five-round fights because they're in a fight night main event, and you're like, that guy shouldn't be anywhere near a five-round fight. This is a case where I would have liked to have seen it. Now, based on where they were at the end of three, is is Car France looking like the fresher fighter who probably wins that anyway if it's five rounds? Probably, yes. I think we're going to end up seeing this again down the road. I think you it's a strong bet to say Askarov will end up fighting for a title in this division eventually, but I think you're right. He wasn't offensive enough in the key spots. It hurts the argument of trying to claim that that he might have won this fight or, you know, at worst in a flip-the-coin situation in the third round. But I also wonder about that wrist uh, injury recovery. It, it, he didn't look like he had the same confidence in his boxing that he typically does. He was he was over dependent on his on his uh, grappling game. Now, with that said, Luke, we got that debate out of the way. Was this the breakthrough fight, Kai Carfrance did? Absolutely, Luke. He is he is rolling right now with not only a level of confidence that's impressive, and even though it was cheesy as shit to do the OH to the crowd, it, it worked, so shout out to Kai yeah. Carfrance. I was going to say, dude, Jose, and don't, don't you remember that Ohio crowd? Uh, granted, his opponent was Russian, and people are just being totally irrational about any normal Russian at this point, but uh, I did hear them cheering his name, and then he goes and he does the OH, and they said Ohio or whatever, however the stupid chant goes. Dude, I thought that was pretty cool, actually. I thought that was it a worked. nice little moment there. It, dude, it worked. And my point on that is like, 
He's feeling himself, and this is typically what happens when everything comes together in your game. I give him credit for that. Luke, remember that question I asked you? I think it was on Friday's show. I said, look, you know, and I expected a more offensive Askarov for whatever reason. Maybe it was Kai Carfrance's speed and accuracy. We didn't see it. But I said, does does Carfrance really have the firepower that he needs to to kind of get the upper hand and potentially walk through Askarov. And I didn't I didn't believe it, Luke. I had to see it. He does have that firepower. He's absolutely legit. And, you know, let's be honest here. We know we're going to a fourth Figueredo uh, Moreno fight for the title. If I'm Kai Car France, I, I, is he next, Luke? Because he may have just secured it. I he mean, might be who next, else bro. would he have to beat, dude? Who else? I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. Again, I, I really do believe that that was not Askarov's best showing. And not that, he, not that it was a poor showing or something, but you know, the time off, I don't know. He didn't quite look fully himself. But I'll say this about, about Kai Kara France. I did not think he was going to win this contest. And you know me, BC. I'm as biased towards those New Zealand fellas as anybody. And I, I, I mean, I knew he was good on the feet and could make it a fight, but I kind of thought he'd get overwhelmed in the end. And he didn't. To Asker, if you would have told me, BC that Asker Askarov in a three-round contest was only going to get two of 14 takedowns, I'd be like, no chance. Not not a chance in hell. And that is the actual truth. He only got two of 14. I cannot believe that, but that's what happened. Dude, Kai Kara France and Adesanya and a lot of those guys, they get kind of labeled because it's from city kickboxing. that That's all that they can do. And for a time, they did have pretty clear vulnerabilities in sort of the grappling and wrestling side of the game. And I'm not here to say that they're going to go out-wrestle Bo Nickel tomorrow. But it is also pretty clear at this point that they have brought in a lot of additional help to get them up to speed. And dude, you're not going to take down Adesanya very easily. You are not going to take down Kai Kara France very easily. It's going to be very, very difficult to do. And when you stand at range with them, they're going to fuck you up. Those guys are good now. Very good. Very well-rounded. And I really, really loved a lot of the decision-making here. I loved how he pressed Askar Askarov back. It was more than just, oh, he's not getting overwhelmed in the grappling department, although Askarov catching the back early in the first round wasn't great. But it was more just like the strategic thinking through the second round to make that left hook land a little bit better, trying to come on top of the jab, or at least the hook, depending on the stance uh, of what Askarov was doing. And I want to say one more thing, BC. I see this all the time. Certainly, Askarov is not interested, in my opinions, on grappling. But I have noticed a lot, man. In MMA today, if you put on the body triangle, we've talked about this. John Danaher has made a point that if you do the body triangle, it's it's still it's not a neutral fight because one person is giving the back, but it's still two hands versus two hands and one head versus one head. It's it's still mathematically a a, a fairly similar kind of struggle when you incorporate and take away use your leg to take away one of their arms. Now you have two arms versus their one, and that becomes a much easier kind of battle. Pay attention to how many times people put on the body triangle and then struggle the rest of the round to get the choke because the hand fighting has become so good, even against guys who are kickboxers by trade, like Kai Kara France, that you can now get the back, and and for three minutes and nine seconds, you can't do fuck all with it. Something to pay attention to. Let me me double on that and say... um, Sometimes DC gets much maligned as a commentator because uh, Dominic Cruz says he doesn't watch enough tape and he's more of an entertainer at times than an explainer. I think since that moment, DC's been stepping up his game and his obviously his breakdowns of the wrestling is, you know, as educated as anyone. I love what he said about when, when, um, when Askarov had the backpack on in the first round, he's saying, look, you see a guy around the back of the other trying to go for a choke. You're, you're thinking about the pressure on, on, um, Kai Car France's legs, 
But how about the the gas that Askarov is wasting yes. trying to hold himself up on there? I think that's part of it too, Luke. That took 100%. a lot out of him attempting to go for that choke in the backpack position. That um, I don't know. It's interesting. Look, I'll say this: Kai Car France. It, the, the takedown defense was key. The striking is what was flashy, but he was so good in that second round. I think a lot of people get knocked out with those type of punches that he landed on Askarov. Like, Askarov yes. had a bite down there, dude. So, so look, I got nothing bad to say about your boy KK France here. I want to say a lot of good things, though, about this division as a whole. Um, I don't know if you watched deep on that undercard, Luke, but that flyweight from Brazil, uh, Matias Nicolau, I thought he looked great against David Dvorak. And, and, you know, up and down this top 10 in the post Demetrius Johnson, post Henry Cejudo era of 125, in which it survived almost being thrown in the dumpster, it's not only must see no matter who's fighting, seriously, from like Bone Tureen to Tim Elliott. I mean, every, like, dude, if it's a flyweight fight, I'm freaking circling it on the, on the fight night calendar. Where does flyweight belong right now in Luke Thomas's? Pound for pound, top five best divisions in the UFC. So we'd go Bantam. I still might go light. Yep. And then um, you gotta go, you gotta go women's straw, or I'm walking out of this studio, Luke. Okay. Yeah, women's straw, sure. And then probably featherweight and welterweight in some kind of order there. So I still wouldn't have it. Here's the one thing I would say. Remember when they were getting rid of it? I still believe this. So I really do, at least from a commercial standpoint. I think it'd be better if we actually had 135, 145, 155, 165, 175, 185, 205. I actually think that would be much better for all parties involved. But I do recognize that while the flyweight division was depleted, its resurgence should not be seen as an accident as MMA becomes more global and there's more talent recruited and everything develops along the way. It has certainly proven to be a very valuable division for the Ultimate Fighting Championship and, and any organization that has a deep division with 125 in it. Okay, did, did you put Welter in middle at 4 and 5? Did you just do no, that? No, Feather. Feather and Welter. Okay, look, dude, Feather's the sneakiest division in the UFC right now. You're right. It, it, it does belong in the top 5. But I gotta take Welter out of there and I gotta throw Flyweight in. It's not as deep. It's not as deep with world-class names, but the entertainment value and the elite parity across the board, dude, I think Flyweight belongs at number 5 and Luke, I think all heavyweight should be above welterweight at this point. I said it. Well, I mean, I mean, Stand you're, just by saying, it. you're just saying words. No, now. I'm not. Dude, I love welterweight, but it's it's wrestle heavy, Luke. It's, um, I mean, we got, you know, we got to. I mean, the back half of it is, well, I mean, here's the part of it. There, I'll, I'll say this. Welterweight is in the middle of turnover. You got, you know, you got what's happening with Masvidal. He's obviously getting older, just lost. Wonder Boy kind of can't get back. Beats some of the better guys, but, you know, is very old. I think close to 40 at this point. And so there's a little bit of, and Vicente Luque has been on the way up for a while. Leon Edwards is due. There's, there's just some turnover that needs to happen, both with guys aging and guys who've been around for a long time who've been denied opportunity. And I think that will flush some of it through because, you remember, you have Sean Brady on the come up, Hamzat Shemaev on the come up. Um, Shavkat Rachmanov on the come up. There's a lot of names in that division that are going to, I think, tear through a lot of people that are going to burn some excitement to it. But I, I grant your point. Flyweight is, uh, for as good as it is and how valuable it is to have for guys that talented, it is too uh, quite maligned unfairly. And, and it's cl I'm glad to see it back and doing what it's doing. No Would doubt about it. Would you say that uh, women's Bantam, Fly, and Feather are the three worst divisions in the UFC? Women's flyweight? Well, I mean, here's the thing about women's flyweight. Like, okay, you 
it needs some turnover. <laughs> it needs some turnover is what I would say. Uh, because at the top, we've talked about this. Andrade is number one ranked, already lost. Chukagan already lost. Murphy already lost. Maya already lost. Dude, you're the fifth ranked contender who's good. Tyler Santos is quite good. But it's pretty rare to see them be like, okay, well, let's just go down the list. Oh, the top four have already lost convincingly. Let's go to Tyler Santos. That is so rare. Granted, they got a tough champion at the top. Yeah, it's not, it's not a great division. But I mean, it's turning. Look, it's got some long term turnover potential from Manon Ferro, who's going to be a big yes, part of extra that's credit, right. to. Uh, Tatiana Suarez, the, the much forgotten name, to to a few others, but I, you know, it, it is what it is at the end of the day. And also, Luke, your explo- exploitive use of the word "come up" reminds me of uh, MK Doc Six when you and I are getting dressed for the awards show in the room, and Jake's got that music creeping on the come up, and we walk down oh, yeah. the, the hallway like bosses. I'm like, a yeah, little bone thug, yeah. All right, BC. Topic number three. We'll stay with the card. You had mentioned someone else, but I want to give you the floor to give any other name you'd like to. Who else stood out to you from this card? Because, by the way, there was a few standout performances here that deserve to be recognized. Dude, sneaky good card across the board. Not the action and crowd participation of UFC London, but a lot of people had really strong performances and made leaps. Luke, Mark Jacasey is coming the hell on. <laughs> Dude, he's a wrestler. So here's the deal. I didn't even get excited about this fight because I forgot on paper that Vlacheslav Borshev is freaking Slava Claus. It's Mr. Faber's guy. Yeah. Dude, when, when he walked out and it turns out he was that same guy, I was like, yeah, this fight's going to bang. Luke, the fight didn't bang at all because Mark Jacasey, who... Has you know has has juggled the wins and losses. Has looked the part of of aggressive, entertaining, can do anything at any time. Striker, and then that didn't really go anywhere. And he's been in the ups and downs. His commitment to just suffocating Slava Claus and really just taking the fight away from him, entertaining as hell. No. But you want to talk about life preserver. You want to talk about starting a new uh, run when he's still so young. And like Curtis Blades going off of his skill to round himself out. Luke, I had to be impressed by this, dude. You had to be as well. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, I didn't see that coming. I did not see a 30-27 off the back of wrestling coming. Let me pull up his stats here if I can because... I didn't watch this live, and then I saw all of the reactions to it. I'm like, you got to be kidding. I mean, I, I knew he was like, you know, decently well-rounded or something. I didn't know he was going to score ready for this, BC. 11 takedowns. 11. Three in the first, three in the second, five in the third. He was a fucking sheet of ice over that Russian. Yeah. How about his control time, BC? 355 in the first, 408 in the second, and ready for this one? 421 in the third. This dude was barely, the only time this guy could stretch his arms was when he was in between rounds sitting on the stool. It's ridiculous and, how this guy was all over him. And he's still only 29, and you know that, he had he had come back before from a three-fight losing streak and won two in a row, but then he lost two in a row. And when you get in that rut, Luke, you, you become... You know, a journeyman who can become an expendable journeyman once you once you you lose more than you win. This is a big win. I mean, this opens up the 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 door to what he might be able to be. Obviously, in a tough division at lightweight, I love to see that. And I want to shout out another. I know you're. I know you're going to pump up Alexa Grasso on extra credit. I got two other names to talk about quickly. Luke, right. I don't always talk nice about Sarah McMahon. I respect her. I just always feel like it's a 
It's an older retread from the Rousey era, right? She's 41, and, you know, and I saw what Juliana Pena did a year and a half ago. She went out there against Carol Hosa, Luke, and just was aggressive as shit in all the strong ways that has made her, you know, a perennial threat in this division, which, you know, really, Bantamweight has not been deep since Amanda Nunes took the torch and, and ran it through. Shout out to Sarah McMahon at 41, Luke, because, you know, you never know how much longer someone has left when the, when they're fighting on their name still. She's not fighting on her name with this performance. She's always in tip-top shape, and she used her strengths to her advantage. Obviously, you know she's going to take the fight to the ground, but the constant threat of submissions, I was not only impressed, I I want to see her again. Yeah, uh, I would certainly agree with that. Can, can, can I take this moment to shout out the, the guy who he didn't win in his hometown, but I was happy to see him get that opportunity? How about yes. Matt Brown and Brian Barbarina, bro? I mean, they went after each other. Now, I thought people would be like fight of the year was a little strong. I didn't quite see it that way, but it was a hell of a fight back and forth. It sucks that Matt Brown did not get a win in his hometown. I feel terrible for him for that. But Barbarina was the rightful winner. I mean, what are you supposed to do? I, I, you know, I thought he was the guy who did the best work in that one. In fact, I was surprised. You know, Barbarina's got a real weird style where he kind of lets the other person dictate how the fight's going to go a little bit, like where it's going to be and under what terms, and then just fights them on that. And Matt Brown had those amazing trips and turns in the clinch. Matt Brown has a whole clinch video on uh, um, BJJ Fanatics. If you haven't checked it out, I, I, I bought it, but I haven't watched it yet. But, you know, he's a master of the clinch. And Barbarina was kind of lighting him up with elbows in there too, although, you know, uh, uh, obviously, you know, Brown was doing some good work on, on top of it. But it sucks that he didn't get the win, but it was a hell of a fight. And Brian Barbarina saying, that's the end of my contract. I asked UFC if they wanted to get back at me. They didn't really say anything. If this is it, I'm just going to go work on the farm. That That's maturity. I, I, I have a yeah. lot of respect for Brian Barbarina. It was a hell of a performance. He, he deserved the win, and, and I don't know what's next, but I hope it's good things. I hope he gets another flyer. I think he deserves it. They both gutted this shit out. I don't think it's a fight of the year contender necessarily. I just think like it, it was savage and there were certain moments, end of the second, maybe all of the third that were just ridiculous. I mean, when Matt Brown rallied for that third round takedown and the announcers lost their shit, it was a great moment. The crowd going nuts. But to see the face of Matt Brown afterwards, not just the you know the, the blood and the carvings on it, but the, the disappointment. I mean, at 41, he emptied it out and came up just short. So much respect to both of these Warriors. It was a big part about why this card was good. And Luke, real quick, but I got to circle this name because we're going to be talking about him in the future. Uh, looks like a Schmesh Factory guy who might have next with the Abe Lincoln beard. Alish Skob Kaziriev. I know I butchered that, Luke. But that bearded middleweight with the weird takedowns that DC was going nuts for, what he did to fellow Russian Dennis Tullulian, um was savage. Look, this guy won the Dana White Contender Series. This was his UFC debut. He's a little round around the belly. And after just being a, 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 a force in there, he climbs the fence, asks for a title shot with a discount double check with a smirk on his face, and then says on the microphone, hey, Dana, I could lose a little bit of weight. Let me cut down to 170. I'm going to smash everybody. Um, at this point, Luke, I think we are trained to realize that when guys look like him, fight like him, talk like him, you got to believe in him because this dude's yeah. coming on. This dude's coming on. I mean, his dude, that takedown he had that DC went nuts for – you know, the creative use of, uh, of of the technique, which I am not equipped to talk about. There it is right there in that picture. Loved it. Loved it. Do you know what's scary is however many of these guys break through from that area of the world, 
you're just blown away by. And then when you watch like regional MMA over there, you realize that like this is just the tip of the spear. There is if it depending how UFC wants to sign them or Bellator whoever, I don't know how it's all going to sort itself, but like you watch, you know, granted it's, you know, associated with Ramzan Kadyrov, but if you watch ACA, my god, dude, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of guys not exactly quite like this but you know relatively on par not far away i it, we, we talk about the russian invasion i'm not even sure it's fully started uh you know in terms of all the talent that's going to move over into uh the major promotions as they graduate through i mean yes of course you know we see it more now than we have in a long time but there is another wave uh coming along in terms of uh you know matriculation I, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see what MMA looks like in terms of its demographic breakdown from nationality in ten years, let's say, and how redistributed it is in terms of what world powers look like. Yeah, I need um, to. That learn sounded how a little political. I didn't mean for it to sound that way, but you know, no, no, and I need to learn how to pronounce this man's name to put the full respect on him. Um, fun, fun fighters. I mean, you know, dude, he obviously can take you down and can be a submission threat, but he had some hammers on the feet too. So. Uh, it's a fun time. What a what a fun time. What a fun card. More to come on this card. Okay, not only in have you seen this shit, but on extra credit later today. Let me pump uh, that. All right, show, Luke. Yes. Let me pump plenty, that. Plenty show. coming on extra credit. <coughs> Pardon me. All right, let's go to topic number four. A little bit out of the uh, beaten path. BC, we're bringing it up here because in part I didn't. I was surprised there wasn't actually at. Well, maybe I wasn't surprised. There wasn't as much attention on this as you might imagine. Do we have the tweets? We can put it. We have the tweets. Let's put it up here. If not, we can just sort of you know uh, ad lib. But basically, BC Nate Diaz takes to Twitter and asks the UFC to release him from his contract, saying he wants to fight, doesn't want to do this publicly, but they're leaving him no choice, and he's got shit to do. So, what is the right question here? Are you surprised that they're that he did it? Probably not. That there wasn't as much reaction to it, like people almost just inherently dismissed it. And there's the tweet right there. And this is on top of him in weeks prior stating outright and then tagging Bellator in the tweet saying he wants to go there, which I'm not even sure how that works with your contract, if that's legal or not. But okay, BC, what's the right way to look at Nathan Diaz banging the drum on social media to get out of his contract? I think we still have to ask ourselves the same question I keep asking every week on this show, which is this. Nate Diaz wants to fight Dustin Poirier in what could easily, you think I'm crazy, could easily be a pay-per-view main event or a badass co-main on any giant card. Dustin Poirier wants to fight. Dana White wants to fight. The fans love that fight, Luke. Why are we eight months later or so and this fight hasn't been made? Why is Dustin tweeting in response to Nate, I want to fight. I just want to fight. What the hell is going on here? I don't mean to always be the quick trigger conspiracy theorist or be the quick trigger person that is always, oh, Dana's up to something. Is it because they're trying to keep these people in the bullpen away from becoming Jake Paul's next opponents, knowing that Nate Diaz has one fight left on his deal? I don't know, Luke. I mean, I'm not I'm not particularly overly interested, per se, in Nate Diaz leaving the UFC to box uh, Jake, Jake Paul. But what I am interested in is fighters being able to maximize what's left of their of their financial you know, growth potential here. It's it's why when GSP had an opportunity to box Oscar De La Hoya, and then we find out even though GSP's been retired for what now, four or five years, he can't box who he wants because he's got to wait out the, the the extended terms of his contract. 
It's ridiculous. There's already enough fighter pay issues, contract issues. We see the details all the time. You turn down a fight, your deal gets extended. You win a championship fight, your win, your deal gets extended. Here's 36-year-old Nate Diaz who, whether it was his fault, whether it was Dana's fault, or whether it was both, sat out, Luke, for what? Three years in the midst of his absolute financial prime after two pay-per-views with Conor McGregor. So he comes back. And, you know, he's been Nate Diaz, right? You know, two losses in a row, but headlines with Masvidal. Puts on, a in the long run, a fun performance against Edwards where he nearly rallies to victory. But that's like almost a year ago at this point. He's 36 and not getting any younger. Give this guy a fight and let him figure out what's next for him or just release him. Like, I, I actually support him going out there. And, you, and so your question is, why aren't no one talking about it? Maybe because it's Nate Diaz and he tweets crazy shit all the time. Maybe because we're in an era where people are doing this more often, right? We saw John Jones. We see Connor retire on Twitter every year. It seems like we see it a lot, right? But in this specific case, for a hero like this who shed so much blood, I remember what he was paid for in some of these big fights, Luke. Peanuts. Let the guy freaking go. If he goes and boxes Jake Paul and makes all the money in one night that he would have made in five years... It's not going to pass the, you know, Jake Paul's boxing pay-per-views are not going to trump UFC anytime soon, right? Do I want Jake Paul to stop trying to lure Conor McGregor into an MMA fight? Yeah, I'm, I'm done with that bullshit. But if this is the avenue that Nate can go while he's still physically able, let the guy go. What are we waiting for? Hey, yeah. hey, UFC, hey, Dana, can we speak publicly on this? Like, what are we doing here? All right, this guy hasn't fought since last June. He's been linked to a Poirier fight now for, you know, almost a full year. Make the freaking fight Dude, or I let mean, the guy un- go. Understand something. So, like, he's been with the UFC since 2007. Since 2008, in 2008, he fought three times. In 2009, he fought three times. In 2010, he fought three times. In 2011, he fought four times, right? And those four were Dong Hyun Kim, Rory McDonald, Takanori Gomi, and Donald Cerrone. The Cerrone one was incredible. 2012 twice, 2013 twice. Then, once in 2014, once in 2015, the two McGregor fights in 2016, three-year gap, we moved to 2019, he fought twice, missed 2020 altogether, and fought one time in 2021. Now, I'm not here to say that 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 the, the, the lack of activity since 2011 and 2012 is entirely the fault of the UFC. That is in no way what I'm saying. I'm sure that Nate Diaz is not necessarily the easiest guy to negotiate with. But I just want fans to inventory something about contracts. We had a, I had a debate with someone on, on Twitter, which, you know, or an argument or whatever you want to say. And they were talking about the strength of the UFC brand. And it should be noted, the brand does have a lot of strength, right? You know whatever else you want to say about who's on the roster and who's not. They are obviously very capable promoters. They, they know what they are doing in large part. Um, and, and they've really worked out a pretty great system. They have a great broadcast partner. Like their success is not accidental for a lot of reasons. However, it is also true that the brand is artificially propped up by virtue of the fact that fighters are locked under contract for long periods of time and they're not able to move around. There is this artificial construction that makes the brand what it is, where if the contracts were much more in the favor of the fighters having the ability to move after, let's say, two years or so, the brand simply would not be what it is. They would still be good promoters, but it wouldn't represent in your mind or frankly in the marketplace what it does today. I want folks to inventory that, yes, Nate Diaz probably has in many parts sat out by his own uh, desire, although I also want to point out how much time in the career of Nate Diaz has been lost 
by virtue of having battles with his own promoter years and years and years and years. And I don't know that all of that, BC, translates into four fights a year. It's not. I'm not saying he'd be Canelo either. But to your point, it's not that they haven't had, at times, a fruitful working relationship. But I would say at most times, it's been pretty fucking acrimonious. Nate Diaz was complaining a lot before the McGregor stuff, and even afterwards was kind of sitting out and complaining. You, I, I really wonder whether a different promoter who was a little bit more giving up front to him, whether that would be the case. And we don't know the answer to that because he is still locked into long-term contracts that very much favor the promoter. Always keep something like that in mind. Dude, I, I think we're right to say it could be 50-50 in terms of why Nate sat out those three years after the two Conor fights and whose fault it was. Diaz is always tend to overinflate things, right? They never think right. they lost. I'm sure they overinflate their value in that moment, even separate from the fighter paid debate in question, right? But it's criminal that he went three years without fighting when he was that popular and commercially relevant and beloved on a critical sense from every single fight fan. But that's a whole topic from fucking three years ago, Luke. We're talking about right now. The dude's 36. I mean, did you see that actual, what he said in the tweet of, uh, Mother effers be crying because they got dropped from the UFC. I can't pay out this bitch. What else could it be, Luke? He's cr- he's openly saying on Twitter, which is not a Nate Diaz move to, to go this way per se, of like, you know, at Hunter, at Dana, like, let me go. Right. So, so it, you know, we've talked about this before when, when, when no one wanted to fight Hamza. Now we got Gilbert Burns. It's going to be a big deal. Um, do you, does he have to sell his soul to like a Hamza loss just to get out of that deal? I bet you'd do it tomorrow if he had to. Dude, if that's what it, what I it mean, took. You, BC, for folks who don't know, Floyd Mayweather used to be promoted by Bob Arum, by top rank. BC, for folks who are not aware, what happened at the end of the Mayweather-Bob Arum relationship? So in t- around 2006, Mayweather was being set up to fight Antonio Margarito, who was a welterweight champion. Floyd was moving up to welterweight. Both were promoted by Bob Arum and top rank. Uh, Floyd came to Bob and said, like, you know, okay, cool. I mean, I'll, I'll take that fight if I have to for $8 million, but I think I'm worth more. I want to fight Oscar De La Hoya. I think I can move up, you know, a, a couple weight classes and, and, and make $20 million in a fight. And Bob's like, no, that you know, you'll never do that. You can never do that. Well, there was a clause in Floyd's contract that he could be bought out. So this is where the genius Al Heyman, founder of the PBC, came in, and they bought out Floyd's remaining uh, top-ranked deal for 750000 and what did Floyd do? Uh, two <laughs> fights later, he moved up and fought Oscar De La Hoya at 154 pounds in the biggest pay-per-view in boxing history, which even now, Luke, is what? The third biggest fight all time after Mayweather right. Pacquiao and Mayweather McGregor. So um, Floyd's gone on to uh, do pretty damn well after that, and that's obviously a special individual case. But they hit a crossroads of, I think I'm worth more. You don't see my value. Is there a way we can just part on you know on good terms there? Obviously, UFC doesn't work like that. There's a lot of reasons why they why they wouldn't or shouldn't or couldn't. But if a guy's got one fight on his deal and he wants to fight, and you got a marquee can't miss yeah. pay per view matchup, what the hell are we doing? What are we doing? Just it, let him buy it out. Just let him buy it out. And also ask yourself: I'm not saying that uh, a, a, a free market Nate Diaz can just you know extend this run another five years. I, I don't think that's right. But in fact, I think it's the opposite, right? How many big fights does Nate Diaz have left? Okay, a big fight against Jake Paul would be one. 
Um, if Connor ever gets free, that's another big one. But that's he's also under lock and key. It's not like there's. I mean, there's a few different ways you could make some interesting uh, money if you're, if you're Nate Diaz. But dude, Nate Diaz is how old? Let's see. He 36. is currently sitting at 36. He'll be 37 in the middle of April. That's a terrible place to be at, at 170 pounds at the elite of MMA, right? Or 150, even 155 elite of MMA. His record, he's got 33 professional fights, of which the vast majority have taken all but one, two, three, four, five, six, seven have taken place in the UFC. You got the most out of them. You got the most out of them. The Nate Diaz experience will forever be tied to the UFC, let the guy go, or or give him a fight. Whatever, whatever you have to do, let's Look, move let me, this process along. But I want folks to remember those contracts. There's a there's a reason why they're different between MMA and boxing, and the onerousness of them in MMA props up the brands to a degree artificially. Never forget that, uh, Luke. If this is directly related to Jake Paul, is this Dana? being afraid at what type of momentum Jake can can build by fighting what would be by far the biggest, you know, ex-MMA fighter turned boxer he could fight in terms of name value, in terms of, you know, us thinking it could be a competitive fight? Or is this Dana just going, F you, Jake? You know, you already embarrassed me publicly, so I'm going to work every legal power I have to to prevent you from keeping your momentum going. Yeah, it's probably that. I mean, I don't think at their heart of hearts, they're like, oh, we want to deny Nate Diaz making money. I don't... I don't think that they care about that per se. I, I don't suspect that it's that malicious. But in terms of denying either Jake, I mean, remember Jake Paul is the boogeyman, right? The, the, you know, Lawrence Epstein telling Sports Business Journal one of the reasons why fighter pay is such a topic of discussion is because of Jake Paul trolling, not because of low fighter pay. So they have placed him as a very controversial, important figure, which I think is to a degree somewhat inflated and, and not really all that accurate. The point I'm trying to make here is I bet it probably has more to do with that than it does with, you know, if there was no Jake Paul out there and he could go to Bellator, which hasn't even ever put on a pay-per-view except for the one under Bjorn Rebney, right? I think that's right. Um, the Tito versus Rampage one, or even that kind of fell apart, but whatever was, was it was. Bellator MSG a pay-per-view with Fedor and uh, Chael I versus... I think, oh, yes, it was. That's right, it was. And I think it barely cleared 100K. That's right. But the point I'm trying to make is this is not a huge pay-per-view threat, although Nate could obviously make it one for a very short time. You know, there's always that to, to deny them as well. But it's like, this is the thing I'm saying about the UFC, dude. They're, they're, like, they're borderline printing money at this point. Nobody is a threat to them. Not Jake Paul, not Bellator, not PFL, not one, nobody. And of course, you know, you don't want to let your guard down and let... Uh, wow, I thought I was the one who was dying of communicable diseases, but now it's see. I think I caught a floater in that athletic greens cup, Luke. Okay, it's the, oh. the one the one drawback of the great uh, the great provider there. Well, it's not them that's doing that. That's the way you drink AG one, which they true. don't recommend. But yeah. I'm just pointing out here, BC, like the threats are not all that real. Diaz is a you know he's 37 in a month, man. What the fuck are we doing? Let the yeah. guy go. Let the guy yeah. go, or yeah. give him a fight. But like, let's move this process along. Let's All right, the BC. show along. Yeah. Yeah. Last but not least, we go to topic number five, the weekend boxing recap. Let's start with the one on Showtime. Tim Zhu, he gets it done. And in the end, actually, it was pretty goddamn impressive. But it started out a little shaky, getting dropped in the first round. Although he finished the round, you know, respectably. And then from there on, I think, took the fight to Terrell Gaucher. BC, did you, what did you learn from the Showtime and American debut of the son of the legend, Tim Zhu? 
Yeah, let me paraphrase my own tweet after the fight, kind of summing it up. Tim Zhu absolutely proved that he is of the, in my opinion, that he is of the elite at 154 pounds. A loaded division, but luckily for fans, a loaded division of flawed <clears throat> and sometimes vulnerable elite fighters. So while he proved that he's elite, he's going to have to fight his way through some very big fights to end up being the last man standing when this is all said and done. And that's because of his style, Luke. There's a little good and a little bad in here. So here's the deal. He is a constant pressure fighter, but never reckless. It's technically strong. He controls distance. He gets right in front of you, and he lets those hands go. But he doesn't move his head, Luke. And I think that's why he got caught with that right cross to drop him surprisingly in round one. And that's why, even, even as he's looking to put the finishing touches, he was never able to drop Gaucher again or finish him. But he took a lot of big counter shots in return to do that. But at the end of the day, that's his style. He digs in there. Now, is he irresponsible defensively? No. But almost like a poor man's prime Gennady Golovkin, he stands right in front of you, and he basically says, if you're going to land with me, I'm going to land even bigger. And it's, we're going to find out whether your chin, your gas tank, your toughness is on the level of mine. This style is going to break a lot of people. And I know a lot of people are going, didn't you watch the Hall of Famer, Coach Jesus father? He also at times had head movement issues and maybe took a little bit too many shots to get his off. It's kind of who they are, Luke. I don't think Tim Zhu is the pure dynamic boxer that his dad was. But Tim Zhu is elite. His poise, his understanding of this game, and his constant in-your-face backing you to the ropes, making you get him off of you, making you dig deep and throw big shots back to get him off of you, it's a hard style to beat, Luke. I think he's going to take some clean shots to get there. I think he's going to have to get dropped even sometimes in his biggest fights. But in terms of an announcement that he's here, oh, he's here. This was a strong debut across the board. Punch stats-wise, he absolutely dominated Gaucher, who is a tough out in this division. Gaucher wanted to be a lot more offensive this fight than he typically has been. I think he came out with those intentions, Luke. But when you've got Tim Zhu walking you down, there's not a lot you can do but dig in and fight. And if you don't have the same power, firepower as Chin as him, you end up lowering your output and you end up hiding behind that guard, and he is going to pick you apart to the body. So... I think I saw a lot of reactions that were maybe a little too aggressive in both ways. People saying, oh, there's nothing to worry about here. This guy's amazing. And then other people going, see, he got dropped. I told you he's not legit. Oh, no, Luke, he is legit. But he's got a dangerous style that's more dangerous for his opponents, of course, but a little bit dangerous for him as well. Yeah, I didn't walk away from this being like, you know, I walked away being very cognizant of, I think, both things, right? To your point about the defense, I did notice something, though, early on. Early on, he was doing rear-hand parries, and he was slipping a little bit, trying to slip and then come over the top to counter some of the jabs of Gaucher. And that's when he was starting to get in trouble a little bit. He got timed perfectly on that punch from Gaucher. If you go back and watch, he actually catches up. You know, I always talk about it on Dissected, catching him on the half beat. He does exactly that. I mean, it was just absolutely perfect by Gaucher. But I'll say this, I think he had to change his tactics a little bit where he had to just kind of go high guard and block. And then he does he does a lot of like blocking and then just walking through. Like he doesn't even try to like move his head a little bit because I think he was getting into trouble with that. So it was a little bit of blocking, a little bit of catching and shooting from him a little bit uh, th- through the course of that fight as it went on. But I'll say this, 
for all the defensive issues that he may end up encountering, and I think those are real. I, I don't think folks should look sideways on that. Um, he did change tactics in this fight a little bit to account for that. And number two, he's got some pop, man. Yeah. Like he's got some, his hands are quick. They're accurate. We're going to, uh, I did a big preview for Spence versus Ugas, and you'll see that like the lead hand of a guy like Spence does a lot of work in those fights. In this one, not quite to the degree that Spence does it, obviously, but you saw some of that as well. He's crafty in there. He's crafty in there. He's got some real tricks. He's got good pop. He's got good hand speed. I liked his intensity after getting dropped and then getting up and then getting right back after it and not taking his foot off the gas. And then in around five and six, dude, he was absolutely driving punches home. I, I could have sworn Gauthier was going to go down in what was it, the fifth round when he got hit with a hard right hand. We don't have the highlights, but his gloves nearly touched the canvas. It was bad, and he was up against the ropes. I didn't get the sense that he's going to beat like the very best of this division, BC. Well, he still has to grow, and, and it's you know, this is what his 21st fight. There's still some there's still some development that's required, but I did see that he is a formidable new entrant at the sort of top near top of 154 pounds, and um, he 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 earned this one fair and square, no doubt about it. Quality quality <clears throat> win. You know, if you look back at his other bigger wins, there you know domestically when he beat Dennis Hogan, when he beat Jeff Horn, even when he beat a tough out in Takeshi Inoue. I think he had an easier time based on the the skill level there and the circumstances, and he was more able to walk guys down and go to in power. I think in this fight, Luke, he really wanted to make a statement, and I think it goes back to he has a, a next level poison understanding. Like like nothing you know nothing phases him in there. That could be dangerous if you're willing to take too many big shots to get yours off, of course. But I think he committed in this fight to making a statement. I think he tasted Gauthier's power early, and even though he did get dropped from it, it was a flash knockdown more or less. I think he got up and said, okay, I can take this. You're not going to be able, though, to do that against everybody, particularly Jermel Charlo, who has three of the four belts and is, of course, rematching Brian Castaño coming up. Now, with the win, Zoo keeps alive that he's the mandatory for the winner of Jermel Charlo versus Brian Castaño, too. Also, Erickson Lubin, who's fighting on in a few weeks on, on Showtime against Sebastian Fundora. If Lubin wins, he's also a mandatory. Why is there more than one mandatory? Because there's more than one belt around the winner of Castaño Charlo. But he's going to be right in the mix. But what I said earlier, Luke, about the vulnerability of this division, this division's great. But you, there's so much parity. You never know who's going to win. We saw, you know, Jarrett Hurd a few years ago looking like the best thing in this division. And then J-Rock just, you know, uh, comes out of nowhere and just and just overwhelms him. And then J-Rock gets knocked out by Banana Rosario in the next fight. So there's a lot of like, I'm not really sure. Brian Castaño may very well win this rematch. Some thought he should have won the first one against Jermel. Maybe Charlo comes out of it. Either way, we are going to see some very fun fights for the titles moving forward. Tim Zhu's going to be in those fights. And I think, Luke, he's going to have to take on some damage to win them. And maybe at the end of the day... That's just who he is. I mean, would you like him to be a little bit more selective in the boxing, use the jab more? 100%. But I'm not sure everybody can take that beating Gaucher did, is really what I'm trying to say. I think that's probably right. I think that's probably right. And he said he wanted to be the bad guy. In the end, he was fighting like a bully. You know, he was fighting up in the grill, pushing him around, digging to the body, catching him as he was exiting off the ropes. There was something to his style matching his presentation of who he is, which I kind of liked. So it was a little it wasn't without its difficulties, but in the end, he was clearly the better boxer. I mean he got yes, he got knocked down the first, but the rest of the time he was absolutely sticking it to Terrell Gaucher. All right, BC, let's move to now top ranked. And this one you had put on my radar and I 
it's not that I couldn't believe that Miguel Burchelt got dropped or got hit hard. But if you told me he's not going to make it to the back half of this fight, I would have been surprised. Jeremiah Nakatila, did I pronounce it right? Correct me if I'm wrong, from South Africa. Boy, this dude can thump, and he put it on Burchelt to the point where the doctor, I think, or the corner in the middle of the, in between rounds, was just like, I've seen enough of this bullshit. How impressed were you by Nakatila? I think Nakatia's from Namibia, Luke. Close enough. They right? had him as South Africa. Or let me let me double check that. I'll get wrong, um, but go ahead. I think we owe Shakur Stevenson an apology. <laughs> so what does that mean, Luke? Shakur Stevenson, who just blew away Jamel Herring to win a title and is now going to be facing Oscar Valdez. I think that's April 30th. Either way, it's a must freaking see unification bout with two unbeaten champions. But when Shakur Stevenson two fights ago fought Jeremiah Nakantia, we were like, in fact, I was like in the interview with him, hey, Shakur, why are you fighting these dudes? Why, you know, why are you doing this? Like, we need some big fights here. It ended up being, you know, a mandatory what have you, Luke. But we saw a very defensive Shakur Stevenson in that fight once he tasted Nakatia's power. And we all looked at that as a negative. I think this fight showed us that is, is Jeremiah Nakatia raw as shit? Yeah, hell yeah, Luke. But this dude brings it. And he yeah. has a bazooka right hand it's a looping right hand sometimes it's straight sometimes it's you know curving in there but he hits everything with power and i think his most impressive punch was those right crosses to the body where he would faint a jab upstairs and then come with a hard right cross downstairs either way miguel burchelt's got some problems luke uh you want to talk about somebody who was the boogeyman in a division for four and a half years miguel burchelt was the best the best brawler in a division full of them because even though he's from Mexico, even though he's life or death, he's got some craft. He can jab. He can set up his punches. He was sort of like the most crafty brawler for about four years in this division. We saw Oscar Valdez move up and absolutely blow him away. There was some concern of whether Burchell could even make 130 anymore. So he moves up to 35 in this fight. Luke, he didn't have anything. He didn't have head movement. He didn't have punch resistance. I liked the, the of course, the mini comeback he had in round five to try to make it a fun war, and this was a savage fight. In fact, there's an MK donk, Luke, from Vegas. He's a doctor, and he DM'd me, and he was like, dude, should I go to this fight? I was like, fucking go to that fight, dude. It's going to be a savage. It was. I never thought it would be this one-sided. I respect Miguel Burchell afterwards for saying... All true champions need to take a loss, and, and it's what you do to bounce back from it. And I'm going to prove to you guys that I can. Luke, I got a lot of questions for Burchelt moving forward because, you know, uh, eventually, as you like to say, paraphrasing, that bill is due of all the damage that you, you know, endure. And Burchelt has given more damage than he's endured, but he got knocked the hell out against Oscar Valdez. And sometimes in your 30s, guys are never the same after that. I think there's plenty of reasons to believe that this might be the case for Burchell. So big win for Nakatia. Now we want to see him again against basically anyone because, you know, it's hard to tell how good he is when somebody who's as great as Shakur Stevenson is boxing circles around him. But this dude is going to make some fun-ass fights. If I'm Bob Arum and company, I'm, I'm signing this guy for a few more. Yeah, so to, to dead wrong myself, you're right. It is Namibia. This is the problem with watching fights on uh, mute. You miss a lot of pronunciation and some of the more important details. So you're right. He is from Namibia, not South Africa. Is it Nakatia or Nakatilla? I've heard both, Luke. I've heard it both Okay, ways. I'll just say Nakatilla until better corrected. But the thing I wanted to say is you're right, dude. You watch this fight. You know what's interesting that stood out to me is Nakatilla's mechanics, they they were actually were not as smooth as Burchelt's in a lot of ways. You know, like his his is the trajectory of his punch and some of the setups 
I'm not to say that they're bad, but they're a little bit unusual. They don't look as refined as they're supposed to, but then the effect that they would have was so pronounced you couldn't possibly deny it in the end. You're right about this guy. I, I, I don't know exactly how far he'll go, and it's hard to see him as being the division's best. And in fact, you know, Shakur Stevenson kind of tells you he's probably not. But you want to make sure you got some action fights, somebody who is can reliably thump on a card. Bro, you call this dude. He is ready to go. But to your point about Burchelt, you know, this, this is what I want to say, and I said at the beginning, BC, which was, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he got dropped. Okay, dude, now we're getting to a point where he has taken a fuck ton of damage. I don't really know. You would know better, but I don't, I don't, I'm not saying he can't get another win. That's nice, but he is past the point of having good punch resistance. I don't think that's, yeah, we're, we're at a stage now where he can fight very little inside of a space where somebody can hit him hard. We've learned enough through our years covering combat sports that when it goes, it goes. And it, I think it's gone. Like that. Like I think that. it's gone. Yeah. yeah. All right. Last but not least, I think this was a seventh round stoppage. How about Josh Warrington and Spain's Kiko Martinez? Now, of course, Warrington had to, I think, vacate the title. He never actually lost it to Kiko Martinez. Martinez beat the guy that kind of inherited it. So this was Warrington coming back around and trying to get the belt that he had actually technically never lost. BC, all action fight. Martinez, I think, got dropped in the first if memory serves. And then on top of it, Warrington, we later discovered, and he put out a video on social media, you can see it, broken hand and a broken face Damn. And still managed to score a very like gritty stoppage against the rope line towards the end of that fight, dude. That was a I'm, you said it, and we've been talking about it. The UK boxing fans, oh my god, there's just dude. nothing like them. There's nothing like them. Okay, so we didn't really preview this fight. I think we mentioned it, and to be fair, I didn't watch it live. I ended up watching it this morning. Look, what an all-action war this was. This crowd in Leeds, England, which is Warrington's whole hometown. I mean, in between rounds, they're like dancing and doing the way. I mean, it was everything that we say about Ireland and the UK, the, the MMA and boxing fans, but particularly boxing. You know, Eddie Hearn is known for for making a fun night out, but it's the people, Luke. It's the people that make this. They they look they just willed Josh Warrington on, and and just to correct correct the timeline a little bit. So Warrington came out of nowhere to win the featherweight title when he upset Carl Frampton. We were like, who the hell is this guy? And then he got stripped of the title because of some sanctioning BS during the pandemic and then got upset by Mauricio Lara, got knocked out. They did that rematch. Unfortunately, I think there was a clash of heads and it was a no contest. Some people said this should have been Mauricio Lara getting this chance. Instead, it was Warrington against Kiko Martinez, who's been around forever. But Luke, Kiko had, had knocked out Kid Galahad to win this title. Either way, it's back in Warrington's hands, and boy, does he deserve it. The broken jaw, the broken hand, but from round one on, I, I really urge anyone who has the chance to go back and watch this do so. Look, did you see Warrington, who's a fun fighter because he's not a pure boxer, and he's not a huge puncher, but he's an interior effective technical brawler and he gets inside of you he lowers his shoulders into you he almost turns his back into you. i mean he just bulldozes you yeah. like a like sean porter like a running back going up the middle dude this was a physical ass war and at 36 kiko martinez bit down and, and left whatever he had left in that ring and they had fought already in 2017 warrington had won a majority decision this is how you come back and leave no doubt regain the title Moving forward at featherweight, um, I think you got to watch. You got to watch Josh Warrington every time out. I mean, if you didn't already, you do now. Um, fun as shit guy who goes after it, Luke. I want to see a third fight with him and Mauricio Lara, 
And I want to see Warrington against any any big name he can get because this was a fun, fun performance. A little one-sided, of course, but a back-and-forth back, back spirited brawl. There was cuts. There was everything that you'd want in this. Oh, man. Luke, we, I don't know how we're going to do it. Would it take... Would it take like Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua for all four belts for you and I to get on a plane and go to the UK? I don't know. Would it take Showtime doing being the provider of some type of pay-per-view in the UK for us to get there? Either way, you and I need to get there. We need to taste this. We need to experience it. We need to rub it on our bodies. And we need to do a live show with big-time guests in front of 5,000 fans, okay? We need to, brother. I, I, I couldn't possibly want to go to any other place to do a live podcast than the UK right now or or Ireland Ireland as well but top blokes they get me Luke they yeah. understand me okay bro they're the they're the, I'm just the, they're you know you can say what you want about Brazilian fans and they're good fans but they're just nationalists like they're not they're not quite the same and you know the, you know shouting you're gonna die is not quite as nice as just the endless singing that they do in Europe or at least that part of Europe um it's just a different experience down there. Look, I, if we I, could I, get, I, I mean, say. we already have you doing Encanto karaoke. And by the way, shout out Encanto winning best uh, animated Oscar yeah. Academy Award. I want to get you doing Sweet Caroline on camera, okay? And that oh, arena, the worst okay. fucking song ever. That's I mean, I that's the, it's just the okay. worst fucking song. It's just the national white people's anthem. I mean, the worst, the fucking worst. I'll never sing that song, at least not for anything other than money. All right. <laughs> That's our top five, BC. Before we get to DMs from Donks, let's pitch it to the producers here for a second. So BC and I went to Miami last week. That's where I got this communicable disease. And we sat down with a Gilbert Burns inside of Sanford MMA. And BC, we teased it before. I'll say it one more time. You guys know I don't really care for doing interviews all that much because to me they just feel very artificial. This is anything but that. If every interview I could do would be like this one, I would only do interviews. I cannot overstate to you how forthcoming Gilbert Burns is in this interview. And I'm told, BC, correct me if I'm wrong, we're going to put this out tomorrow. Is that true? That is true. Ahead of this this clash with Hamzat Chemaev, that's a big deal for MMA and certainly a big deal for Gilbert Burns' chance of getting right back to that title level once more. All right, let's roll the tape. On April 9th, one of the most important fights in the welterweight division that you could make with or without a title, it will take place. UFC 273, Jacksonville, Florida, and it will involve Hamzat Shemaya versus our next guest, Gilbert Dorino Burns. They catch me vaping. Yeah, just a little tease there, Luke. Uh, I didn't realize all that goofy shit I was doing was going to be part of the serious video. Can we, can yeah, we edit that part yeah. out? We got we to gotta work on your level change. You just kind of lean forward and fall. We got to work on your... Yeah. Well, your you shot. know, I, I see I, I see a high crotch, Luke. I go after it. You know what I'm saying? That's the history of my life, okay? Um, I will say I saw, this. I saw Luke. a lot of high crotches yesterday at the D.C. Tattoo Festival. Yeah. Let me tell you. Yeah, you did. Uh, you said Miami. I know you flew into Miami, but where is Sanford? This is basically Fort Lauderdale, right? Fort, I mean, uh, no, isn't that isn't that Deerfield Beach? Something like this is what they were telling us? It's all Florida like to me, Luke. But uh, yeah. they couldn't have been more welcoming at Sanford MMA. What, a, what a facility, too. It was, it was I couldn't, great to but, see. Dude, we pulled up. And that, that uh, I don't know if they can show the video again, but that drone shot that they got at the front of it, 
or yeah. Sanford MMA, the, the way when you pull off the highway, you actually go to one road where Sanford's right in front of you. It looked like an Amazon warehouse. It was so big. The <laughs> space in Florida is crazy. Those gyms, they're state-of-the-art facilities times a thousand. In fact, you see, we were in there. There was, a, I think, a Miami Marlins uh, player, not a starter, but like on the squad. Yes throwing pitches to like work on his on his craft oh yeah they, they go they go well beyond mma in he, terms and gilbert of was saying training. they have like they have like they have all kinds of dudes who play for the dolphins and whatnot come into yep. the gym i Plus, was like holy shit we saw uh robbie lawler linton vassell ian gary well, you know well no, we should say that robbie lawler saw us and then made a beeline for the, oh, for the exit <laughs> He was like, no, no, do not approach nope. me no fucking way, bro. Okay? He, saw two, he, saw, he saw cameras and two guys in blazers and was like, uh, no. no, bye. See you later. So look out for that tomorrow. I cannot wait to show that to you guys. All right, BC, time for us to answer the questions from the viewers. It is time for DMs from dogs. Hee-haw. Hee-haw. Okay, BC, from Custom Props 1. Now, this is interesting. You have to set this one up, BC. Yeah. Will Tank Davis leave Mayweather Promotions, which might sound like a crazy question for folks who may not know. If so, who do you think he signs with? BC, there's a reason why this gentleman is asking this question. What is it? So here's the deal. Tank put out an interesting sort of retweet, quote tweet, in which he said, they're making me, meaning Mayweather Promotions, fight this clown, meaning Roly Romero, Gervonta's words, not mine, although... You know, if the if the glove fits, Luke, right? Uh, we must acquit it. Uh, so, and you know, he said because this is the final fight on my contract. And Tank has gone on to post some interesting tweets that he also deleted, Luke, including one of a private DM or text conversation with Derek Harmon of Top Rank. Now, if you don't know Derek Harmon, he used to he once fought Roy Jones. He was a respectable uh, super middleweight, I think, light heavyweight fighter. He's now Bob Arum's driver. He works for Top Rank you know, essentially soliciting, hey, we'd love to meet with you and talk with you, but we want to keep it on the down low. Well, Tank put that shit out there. To further, I don't want to say complicate, but but expand on this, Floyd Mayweather himself was on uh, his, his you know, website or, or show of choice, Fight Hype, where he typically goes on and talks and said, um, look, you know, Tank's deal is up and, you know, if he wants to go, he can go. But, you know, we hope we've done enough to show him, you know, that, that we're for him and, and we've gotten him this far and all that. Luke, this is interesting. Now, obviously, there's potential layers here, meaning Tank is a PBC Al Heyman fighter who just so happens to be promoted by Floyd. So could he leave Mayweather Promotions and then still fight for the PBC and be promoted by TGB Promotions or any of the other sometimes promoters that PBC uses? Potentially, yes. But this could also be Tank looking around realizing that there is a large group of young future star fighters in and around his weight class. And you know how hard it can be, Luke, to make these cross-network, cross-promotional fights. You know, I do wonder what's going to happen next if Tank becomes a free agent at this point in his career, having already established himself as a legitimate pay-per-view player, a guy who can sell out arenas all over the country, L.A., Atlanta, Baltimore, and now he's coming to New York to the Barclays Center to fight Roley. And he'll he'll sell that out, I guarantee Dude, you. Dude, there's a big deal, first of all. But if you're a boxing fan, there's a lot of potential on what this could do. Now, I know there's a little counter for me saying we work for Showtime. I'd love to see him stay on Showtime. I hope that works out. Believe me, course, by the way. Of course, but, but he's his but, own man. But, you know, he is his own man. He's going to call his own shots. Something to watch closely, Luke. We'll get into Devin Haney a little later in the show. He also just switched promoters and was a network free agent. So 
there's movement right now. And I think um, wherever anyone ends up, I like when the fighters take their own career in their own hands because, you know, sometimes they want to fight guys, but the promoters of the network can't make it. So we'll see. We'll see what's going on here, Luke. All right. Um, I, I, it's it's something you didn't expect because the closeness or at least the presumed closeness of Tank and Floyd make you think that this is just something that's going to happen forever. And it might. I, I don't know. Um, but well, they've been rocky, Luke. They, to be fair, okay. Let's be fair. All right. I don't. I don't want right. to share all. Rocky, of it. but okay. Yes, hold on. I know what you're saying. Rocky, and there's been times where, like, I think Tank may. I, I'm just guessing. I don't know. Like, Tank doesn't talk to me, so I'm going to guess here. Maybe a little bit overbearing. Floyd's been maybe a little bit, um, and maybe he just wants to like see what happens. I mean, who knows? He's a young guy still, right? So like, there's there's a lot of that still happening. But I, I will tell you that in my head, as some, again, you're much more. Into, I'm, I'm trying to catch up to you in boxing, and I'm very far behind. But you know, my impression was like, oh, that will just continue because it's good for business. Maybe not. Maybe not. Well, look, know? Al Heyman's not a promoter; he's a manager, and you know, he just so happens to manage what, like, fifty percent of the relevant fighters in the game today. It seems like, and there have been fighters in the past who have kept Al on as their manager advisor. But gone to different network. Danny Jacobs went to the zone and you know and HBO first and then the zone. So I don't know what's gonna happen here, Luke. But um Floyd and 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 Floyd has long put the arm around Gervonta and said, This is the guy, this is the next one. And you know, so far he's been proven right, but I hear what you're saying. Sometimes it feels like Floyd's a little bit too much commandeering the microphone, and they've also had some up and downs personally that's gone public in the past over some decently salacious things. So who knows where things are actually at right now, Luke, but meet me offline on our Patreon show and I'll tell you more. Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. All right. From M Sherman 08 question, what current fighters career would benefit most from a Colby Covington type heel turn? You mean getting punched in public? I don't know about that, but you know, I was thinking, BC, like, who is a real big, what's the word, baby face? Is that the idea? Like, it's a little late, but, like, imagine Wonder Boy was like, and your kids are, you know, stupid, and <laughs> your wife is ugly. Or, it would be, it would be, I don't know, it would be weird, but he's so far, he's so close to 40, it wouldn't work. Is there someone who's, like, real nice who could, like, jack it up by well, having a heel turn? It- the sp- I get the spirit of the question if you were saying what you're saying is who can we bring up that's really nice who can then become really mean but they don't even have to be really nice they just have to be somebody who's overlooked let's say on a promotional push level yet has really good ability and could they by taking on a character which we go back to Floyd Mayweather when he took on the the when he stopped being pretty boy Floyd and became money Mayweather and was so genius and calculated it, it, it opened up you know millions right to him who could do that in a way that in theory Covington said he did to save his job although they can't seem to prove that that actually happened right that Sean Shelby actually told him yeah, that but, he was gonna yeah be- but like at the same time does that sound out of character it doesn't sound out of character all right so who is a fighter Luke of a kind or at least low profile personality who's very good and you wonder you know with an ideal PR turn you know, a vil- taking on a villain character could just go through the roof. Couple names stand out. Um, she doesn't need to, but it would be weird if Valentina Shevchenko did it. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, she's the champion, but you'd be like, what? You know, uh, that's a little strange. Um, Kayla Harrison could maybe, you know. Kind of did. Kind of did that A little year. bit. Uh, but, but he said, listen to the thing. Didn't say heel turn. Colby Covington heel turn. I mean, like. Find the line and cross it habitually. What about Rose? 
Imagine Rose just became like an absolute badass. Not the nice, beautiful person that she is, and she yeah. supports so many good things. Imagine if Rose is just like, F you and F your mom. Oh. I just kind of, you know. What about Robert Whitaker? Like, dad, oh, you know, yeah. statesman in certain ways, you know, couldn't be nicer, impossible to dislike. That's a good What if call. he just went, whoop, you know, and turned it all away? Maybe he would make Izzy a hero in many ways, you know. It'd be, it'd be a weird look. Glover. You imagine Glover being like, fuck all you hoes. I'm going to beat the fuck out of everyone. <laughs> All right, what's, what's the tr- this is going to be a controversial statement, but what's the true spirit of this question? The question surrounds Colby, who took on a a first a a trolling and then eventually a like political stance to try to gain following. What if Islam Mahachev came out as oh. like pro Putin f Ukraine? Oh. Look, I'm not I'm not asking for this, Luke. I'm just saying, you know, he has the ability to like take that persona and become yeah. public enemy number one, right? Yeah, that would be disgraceful, but yeah, yeah, yeah. disgracefulness sells. You know? hey, hey, USA, I'm coming for you next. I mean, it could get yeah. it could get bad, Luke. It's actually bad. not a bad call. That's actually uncomfortably better than my call. Yeah, <laughs> I have to yeah. tell you. All right, from <clears throat> at Sahir sixteen, uh, was what Will Smith did justified? Uh, well, that butchering of the English isn't justified. Would love to hear your guys' take on, uh, especially in light of the Jorge Colby situation. I mean, everybody is going to take this shit to death. I'll just say this, BC. Obviously, what he did is pathetic and cowardly and bullshit, and it's not, you can't support it. Um, But what I would say, though, is the thing that really stood with me when it was all over is this dude walks up. You know, it wasn't. It, it, you know, everyone was like, "Oh, he could have, he could have really hurt Chris." Yeah, if he had closed his fist, he he fucking hit him with an open hand. Like, can we calm down on this leads to death takes a little bit? But what I would say is the thing that really captured my attention was he goes up there, he does it, he sits back down, everybody comforts him, then he wins the award and does a speech about about love. I'm like celebrities or elites in this country can basically do whatever the fuck they want. Like when Donald Trump was like, they let you do it. He he's 1 billion percent correct for better. Or in this case, certainly for worse. Okay. Before we get into the blame and that Luke, you would, you would argue that this felt like a sort of top five Twitter moment all time, like real time reaction to something. I mean, it's not Jack Ruby shooting Oswald on national television, but it's about as bizarre as it gets because the slap alone is is a moment, right? Like like Kanye interrupting uh, Taylor Swift, like it was like a moment, right? But you have on the back end him winning the thing, and it's like, do you realize how I, I always argue that UFC two twenty nine post fight brawl? Don't you realize how close that was to the whole arena? You know, fighting each other, people being unsafe, and it's the palace brawl. Do you realize how close that could have gotten to like security ushering Will Smith out and like yeah. you know the show being stopped and them just announcing his award while he's like in a police car? So. Like the fact that it played out that way and that just minutes later he won the award and then had to give a speech in which he's apologizing and justifying at the same time. To the Academy, though. Not to Chris. No, not to Chris. It's wild. All right. I like that the spirit of the question asked the Jorge Colby part. Because you and I reacted in a way to that that was some people thought insensitive or not in touch with reality. And my response was, I don't think the world's Colby and Jorge live in our reality. It's trash talking fight promotion game. And one person or both regularly go too far, and there's a receipt sometimes when you do that. I'm not saying, you know, it's street justice. I'm not saying I support what Jorge did by any means, especially the hit-and-run strategy. I have a different take on the... I think Chris Rock is almost the accidental hero here. Now, is the joke that he said out of line? Of course. 
But that is a, a forum, being an awards host trying to be edgy, right? Like, no one's probably ever going to be... Remember when Neil... Um, when Norm, excuse me, Norm McDonald did that ESPYs one that ESPN wants you to forget about and just roasted everyone. I mean, there's some great moments in the history of hosting a major award show and being edgy. I don't know if Chris Rock knew about the alopecia, the, the why Jada Pinkett Smith now has to have that haircut, although I think in the past she may have done it for, for style purposes. So it's like, it was a G.I. Jane joke. It was a sort of lowbrow, but not too deeply offensive in my opinion joke but it was out of line i mean the joke was fucking it, it was the joke was shitty in what it was making fun of but yeah. it was not that bad of a joke i mean so it, it really didn't wasn't. justify that but i saw an interesting story uh, overnight from the guardian that had read will smith's autobiography that came out uh, last year and said apparently when will smith was young his dad punched his mom brutally in the face and she was like bleeding and Will Smith and his siblings didn't do anything about it. Right. Cause they're small and they're scared. And that oh, ate see. at will for the rest of his life. And will claims that he's been building up this lovable, happy character publicly almost to sort of offset that. But the fact that he didn't come to his mom's aid ate at him for his entire life, including when his dad was, I guess on his deathbed and sick, he, he considered killing him as, as revenge. Okay. Um, wow. So that that at least shows you the foundation of of coming to his wife's aid and protecting her publicly. But Will Smith laughed at the joke when it was delivered. Right. I know Jada right. gave a odd face and any of us as a husband in that moment is going to be in an awkward position. Yes. But you have to consider the stakes, not just that you're up for that award 10 minutes later, the right. biggest award of your entire career, by the way, the biggest moment, really. And Will Smith has done everything. He's done everything, Luke. Music, movies, TV, he's done everything. That's the biggest moment of his career without a without a shadow of a doubt. He almost he almost botched it. He almost punted it yeah. away yeah. to try to what? Prove to a to a comedian that I mean like it dude I don't I don't like your joke, you know. Credit okay. to Chris Rock for one in the moment dealing with it putting his chin out like okay, you know, you're pissed, I'm sorry. But then rolling with that punch, dude, that that's number 1. The fact that he rolled with that slap It wasn't a punch, it was a slap. It was an open hand. He did not close his fist. It's a big difference. So the fact that he rolled with it lessened the blow and the fact that he was able to carry the show on like we yeah. didn't need to stop and rush to commercial. We didn't need to get a replacement host or just say, "Hey, go online for the rest of them." I mean, he just rolled with it is yeah. as impressive a live TV moment. I mean, look, Luke, you and I get little tastes of this when we're doing live streams or whatever. We know in the back of our mind that she can go haywire at any point. In fact, it does. Right. They go, Corey, and it will be in our ear and say, hey, guys, uh, we're going to get we're going to get this guest. Oh, no, he's not here yet. He'll be an hour away. Go vamp for an hour. Right. Like you expect that things can go. Dude, what Chris Rock did to pull that off. He's the real MVP in this, Luke. I know a lot of people are going, that's what Will Smith is a hero. That's what you should do. No, Dude, Will there's Smith a time is not and a, place. a fucking hero. Will Smith is a dumbass. If if Will Smith did that backstage, I wouldn't have much to say negative because Chris Rock knows that he's in the business of of taking chances. And sometimes, Luke, that bomb is going to blow up in your hand. That grenade's going to go off in your hand. Yeah, I mean, and we you shouldn't know exaggerate what the threat is. Like, again, he didn't close fist punch him. You know, everyone, Chris Rock is fine. Like, everyone's fine. Like, we, I, I don't want to make this up. People are like, that is, uh, that is in, intense violence. Well, it's wrong. It's definitely wrong. But I don't know if I've, I've seen intense violence. It doesn't look like that. But um, the thing I want to say is, I mean, this is not a complicated thing. And going back to Colby and Jorge, there is a meaningful difference. And I don't, again... You can explain this to people and they hear what they want to hear. Dude, I, I, will, I, I will repeat exactly what I said when I was in Miami or, or Fort Lauderdale, whatever. Colby's the victim. 
Colby's the victim. It's not very hard to figure out. Speech is protected. Violence against others basically is not. Uh, this is not a complicated argument to make. The difference was Colby went out of his way to antagonize dangerous people. And I, the point I'm trying to make here is, yes, of course, Colby has a right to do all of those things. But when you antagonize dangerous people for, frankly, years, years, you have to ask from a risk management standpoint what will happen here, not what should happen, what is appropriate to happen, what people are entitled to do, just what will they. Chris Rock made a fucking joke. Chris Rock is not a dangerous street person. He is a comedian and an entertainer. We're at the fucking Oscars, the elite of all elite, you know, we're in terms of what people in society go to. He made one offhanded remark, and the joke was kind of shitty. I agree. You know, making fun of someone's alopecia is not nice. It's it's mean. It's a very mean thing to say. And he stands up and does that shit. Dude, that's weak. That's fucking weak. But the point <clears> thing <throat> I'm trying to make is about Colby's situation. The reason why it's different is, dude, you antagonized people who are violent for a living purposely for a long time of course nothing should happen to him yeah. of course he should press charges and if he wants to sue jorge jorge made that choice for him and there's no sympathy for him that is different antagonizing dangerous people from an entertainer making a mean joke on stage they are not necessarily from a risk management standpoint they're not equivalent and you know the guardian piece did point out that the last few years there had been a string of Chris Rock public jokes against both Jada and Will. So, so look, dude, if it, dude if, like Will no, 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 I'm not justifying. I'm saying of one percent of one percent. Get over it. No, get I'm over saying it. That to, to to try to fill in the blanks of the motivation. But again, if he had done that backstage, if you had heard after the fact that backstage he slapped Chris Rock and warned him. You would go, okay, dick move, but I get it. If someone's, you know, because, you know, Luke, you got to ask yourself this knowing Will's recent Dude, history. Is not, he really? No, hold on, hold on. BC, stop there. Hold on. Yes, go ahead. Go ahead. Why would you get it? Dude, what culture are you living in? This is not the Middle Ages. Someone says something and it has an effect. If you have dignity, it doesn't matter what the fuck they say. You, the person can't take it from you. It is inherent to your humanness. It doesn't work that way. Like, oh, my honor has been betrayed. Motherfucker, this ain't the 15th century. It doesn't work that way. You can say whatever you want. It doesn't affect human dignity at all. It's the violent act afterwards, however violent it may be, that actually is 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 the thing that really affects the human dignity and human worth. It's well, not the words. A, that was just a setup for me to say. Uh, shouldn't he be more angry at his son's friend who Jada slept with than Chris Rock? And maybe this was uh, it all busting forth because it, while that's a funny joke, it's also real and also weird, yeah. entanglements. But also, um, you know, a lot of people tweeted afterwards like, oh, shit, Will Smith's got some serious problems. If he's willing to do that in this moment, 10 minutes before the best, you know, yeah, it looks like there's some internal struggle going on. So l I wish everyone well. Shout out to Chris Rock for holding it together. But um I mean, it's pretty weird to begin with that that they that they have that they sleep outside of marriage with different people. I mean, but that's just my two cents, Luke. Okay. By the way, we have a meme here. The producers want to show. Can we see the meme? <laughs> that's yeah. it's just it's just Will Smith slapping BC. That's it. Yeah, apparently that was me accepting the uh, best uh, MMA podcast award. Apparently, um, also I've seen other memes with Anthony Smith, not Will Smith, approaching me and doing the same thing. But shout out to Anthony Smith. See, that's the thing. Like, this is not an e even matchup. Okay. By the way, Luke, if I'm Brendan Schaub, a comedian who can actually fight, 
I'm building my entire material around Will Smith moving forward. Yeah. And I'm challenging. Just him come get me right? type shit. Yep, yep. Okay, because he because he's not going to take that slap. Okay, he knocked out Crow Cop. He's just going to swivel and come right back and be like, you know what I'm saying? <coughs> yeah. Well, he shouldn't do that either. But uh, okay, from at Telvin Key Papa. Oh yeah. Be- why better ninety? Sh- yes, better ninety show. Fresh Prince of Bel Air or Saved by the Bell? BC. Whatever you want to say about what happened yesterday, I mean, yeah. the guy made a mistake. I don't. I'm not going to judge him in his entirety by that one act. I gotta say, Fresh Prince of Bel Air, much better show. Much yeah, I mean, better as, show. as a program, it's a. I mean, Quincy Jones is behind it. It's a. It's a damn well better show, but more historically entertained, Luke. More endearing to my heart. Now, I was a Fresh Prince super fan. I've seen every episode a million times, right? I mean, they switched moms out of nowhere, unexplained. Aunt Viv, we got a new Aunt Viv. But, dude, Saved by the Bell hit a little bit harder, at least in my household, Luke, okay? All right. Well, you're also intensely white, so there's that as well. I don't think it's um, a race thing, Luke, in this case. Really? You okay? don't think there's a difference okay. between a mostly white cat cast and a mostly black cast and the fact that you preferred the former rather than the latter? You think there's zero to that? No, Maybe. I just think Saved by the Bell was the goofy, absurd humor that 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 hit with me, Luke, okay? I think, right. I, I would say this, Saved by the Bell was a little bit preteen whereas i feel like fresh prince was that but maybe a little bit older i don't know there's no is there is let me ask you this is there a difference in age demo not huge slight between the shows it feels like there may have been may have been slight differences dude how how snacky was it was uh was carlton's sister hillary back then yeah she in the famous words of many of my friends because Lord knows I would never say this. She could get it. You know what I'm saying? She oh, could get it. God. Wow. Wow. We better move on. Before they <laughs> All right. Let's move along. Yeah, From wow. at Roly Anderson. Uh, it's a very straightforward question, BC. How do you want to answer this one? Because we do have one. I don't know if we can tell them what the answer is. Can y'all start doing room service diaries again? How do we answer this? I'll answer it like this. Room service diaries isn't dead. It may look a little different moving forward, though may sound a little different may taste a little bit different now luke uh, now now well, taste a little bit s- different like ag1 when you just pour water on top of it rather than mixing it or <clears throat> like a full-on ag1 experience yeah what i'm about to say like we're not changing the formula of room service diaries for this reason but what i'm about to say also relates to the reality of room service diaries so here's the here's the real deal holy field luke tell me if i'm sharing too much Okay. We put out a segment in which we drink alcohol and openly say things that eventually will get us fired. Yes. We've gone pretty close to the fire, but, you know, that shit burns. And the more we gain followers, win awards, do whatever stuff looks good on the other side to the to the bosses, I think the more the bosses might end up watching our shows, Luke. So, you know, um, I don't think Room Service Diaries in its original form is sustainable as much as people love it it is hard to make great decisions while drinking 40s and talking about um boobs and rap music right i mean it, it it's hard look it's hard it's, right it's it's uh it's a recipe for cancellation which so we're not changing it necessarily because of that we're changing it because we've got a better idea with the same title i think but we are changing it also because of that i think that's fair um, here's the point. I, here's what I'll say. You will see room service diaries again and probably sooner than you might imagine. And it will look pretty similar 
but it will be it will be uh I'll, I'll, it will be an upgrade. It Let's will just be say a there's a substantive. Fair is that true? It'll be a substantive oh, upgrade. Yes, I was going to say there's a substantial investment going on in this show's future, and RSD is uh, is one of those those pillars. So let's see what happens, right? Uh, okay. With that out of the way, BC, we are done with DMs from Donks. It's time for your feces. Yeah, right. Hey, this is one of our better episodes. I got to give it up to you, Luke. Okay. Yeah, mon- Mondays are good episodes. Mondays, I All like right. Mondays. Uh, we scour the globe, of course, for the good, the bad, the ugly, the in-between, combat sports, and beyond. It's called H-Y-S-T-S. Have you seen my feces? All right. I'll, I'll, when I use I'll. public restrooms and I don't flush afterwards on purpose, that's what everyone says. Well, that's what I ask. Yeah. Wow, that was gross. Okay. Uh, UFC fight night in Columbus. Luke, we talked about former heavyweight champion Stipe Miocic getting down with the OH. I think it's the new thing because Curtis Blades also did this, Luke, on Saturday. If you show up, someone's going to hand you a beer and you got to chug it, right? Yo, look at how he sticks his tongue out first. Look at that. You see that? He's like, oh, wow. Ah. He's like do welcoming me. Let me see. It do in. I do that too? I might do that too. Hold on. Let's I see. might change my game up. Natural. Yeah. A hey, by bit. the way, Steve is a cool dude. You got to give him. I'm mean, like, I, I've underrated him too often, Luke. And no, he's not a flashy personality. But when you hang out with him, when you interview him, the guy's awesome. Yeah, he's a real dude. He's just a real dude who can fight his ass off. And by yeah. the way, there's a Colombian in every picture. To his left, bottom right of the screen, is uh, a uh, Colombian-American named uh, Hector Castro, who is a former MMA manager. Well, he still, I think he manages a couple people. Put on, He's put on uh, some of the very first professional MMA events in Colombia and uh, is an all-around good dude. I would love to see his Encanto review, Luke, to be fair. All right, uh, let's see. Luke, we mentioned Brian Barberina and Matt Brown went to war. Luke, that wasn't insulting. Don't give me that face. Don't get what? don't get Will Smith soft on me. I didn't no no, no I didn't I wasn't mad at it at all. It's fine. I have no You're issue. Like, it was just, just a bad joke. Something. I know sold it. Okay. No, 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 it's fine. It's fine. Uh Luke, round three of Barberina Brown was a shitstorm. Look at the final ten seconds. Wow. Yeah, dude. I mean, this was crazy. I couldn't believe. I was. I, I, I be, were you surprised at how well Barbarina landed as Tuki knocks on my door? Even though I've given specific instructions to not mess with me today. I mean, it's just. I mean, what are we doing? Well, <laughs> look, she's pretty excited. I mean, an Academy Award. I mean, come on, dude, an Oscar for a. Concert? I'm gonna let her come in here and slap me just to you know create some excitement. Uh-huh. Luke, I hope Barbarina gets the contract for him and his family. But either way, here's a wholesome moment after the fight with the with the multiple Barbarina kids coming up to make sure Daddy's okay. I yeah. I pop for these moments, Luke. Yeah, these are tough. These are tough. But um, he he's okay, and you know this might be his last one anyway. And then he's back with them. And I never really fully appreciated this until I became one. And these are just the best. These are yeah. totally the best. These kids better hope he's fighting sooner. They'll be working the plow with him, Luke. You know what I'm saying? Okay, well, you turned a perfectly nice moment into it. No, the far- the, you say he's a farmer. That's what you said. Yeah, he wants to go back and work on the farm. Eventually he will, yeah. All right. Uh, Neil Magny came from behind, Luke, to get a nice win over Max Griffin. Yeah, he check did. Out- Dude, Max Griffin put it on him in the first he round, did? man. But check out the closing seconds. A damn near gotch pile driver from Magny. Damn! Yeah. He, uh, Dude, he dropped yeah. him on his head. Which, by the way, folks asking, can you pile drive an MMA? No, you cannot. You cannot spike someone on their head. But if you notice, he kind of—it's t- a little bit off to the side, you know. Wait, so I guess wait, Keith Peterson was Jessica like, Jessica Andrade, whose nickname in Portuguese is pile driver, 
win a title by pile driving, Luke? Sort of, sort of. Yeah, I mean it's it's a little gray. I guess what they don't want to see is like like a twelve to six straight up and down neck compression. Yeah, you know, like that. But anything short of that, they kind of just let it roll. You know. Yep. All right, Luke. Real recognized. Real in the locker room. Check out KK France cheesing it out with MK Instagram follower Joe Burrow. Yeah, Joe Burrow, friend of the show. I'm just going to call him that, even though that's utterly <laughs> false. Uh, I mean, to be fair, he might have been following below the belt, and then it just changed over. Luke, you know that that's yeah, that yeah, maybe probably what probably yeah. true. But the point, point is here: he's a good MMA fan, a hell of a quarterback, and I'm jealous that he doesn't play for my team. Yeah. I, I like. I think he should play for MK. Actually, I think he should be our new correspondent, Luke. Yeah, we should. We, the Joe Bur- catching up with Joe Burrow. What's new, bro? Yeah, indeed. Uh, Luke, I'm going to play sound in a second. This is from Fury FC. The guy's name is Jordan Pluton. Listen to this liver kick. Oh, I kick. heard this. Yeah. Good lord. And he's one of those guys that you can see a definite improvement every time he's out here. A huge improvement this time in conserving energy and. Oh, big shot! That's it. Out. Yeah, that was a big shot to the body. Good God. I tell everyone, you can hear it in the apex, but if you've never been to wow. a fight, and I, I, BC, you've heard it Simi a thousand times, go to a regional MMA show in your neck of the woods, and in fact, this weekend, that's all you're going to have access to. Go spend the 20, 30 bucks that you need to get in, and you will understand fighting in a very different way than you have before. Uh, yeah. First of all, how about Jordan Pluton's hair, which is ridiculous, but then he was grinding after that flip on the canvas, which is so regional MMA. I love it. But also, Luke, you know when it, the 10-second clappers in boxing and MMA that the timekeepers use, it's those two giant plastic or wood blocks, whatever the hell they are, and they go to let the fighters know? That's what that kick sounded like, dude. That's crazy. It did. Yeah, time's up. Like, yeah, but them hitting it actually like super hard, like more than normal. That thing, that thing... A liver punt, a liver, a liver shot. Excuse me. I, golly, dude, that must have sucked to be that guy. I feel yeah. bad for him, but shouts to the winner. He did a great job. Luke, a lot of people taking a bite out of Boxeo this weekend. Mike Tyson Holyfield style. This is top rank from Las Vegas. Nicholas Pablo DeMario putting yeah, I saw the this bite. Too. Let me ask you about this. Now I know that the referee has discretion on this. Yeah, but let me just ask you your feeling. I feel like if you bite a motherfucker in a fight, they should call You're, it. You should call it. Yeah. What they typically do is take away two points, um, you know, because I guess there's levels to it. I guess we've seen it a few times on that. Remember when I, Ivan Redcox did it on the neck of that dude that time? Uh, was it Danny Garcia? Yeah. Um, I mean, at this point, yeah, you should be you should be disqualified. I agree with you. Um, that he did that to uh, Josue Vargas, who uh, rebounded from his first defeat to get a win. But later on, Luke in Buenos Aires, Argentina. I don't know the fighter's name, but we got another fight. Check this shit out. What are we doing here, bro? Bro, what the fuck? Yeah, I, dude, I, I got to tell you, like, I'm see, I've never been a pro boxer. I've only ever, the most I've ever done is just spar. It's never even, and I've, you know, I've been tuned up a few times. It's never even occurred to me yeah. to just bite a motherfucker. Would you call <laughs> like, it a pussy move, Luke? Would you call it a pussy move? I would, no, because I, I don't think those dudes are not tough. But to me, that is like the ultimate. That's 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 to me surrendering without like tapping. You bite well, people, you're 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 out of options. That means you means you know that other guy is better than you, and you are you can't stand it. That's what it means. It's Will Smith, basically a little yeah, bit different, obviously, because that's you know words and they versus say, actions uh, that are fighting. But it's it's all, him being like, I can't take how much better you are. Fuck you. Indeed, you know? they say bad things happen in threes. Even later Saturday night, Luke, check out this pussy doing it a third time. 
I mean, come on, bro. Right? Bro, letting your cat nibble on your face is extra dangerous. Dude, Reggie Jackson just chews up my beard. People in my house think I'm weird, but you know he's he's so lovable, Luke. You know. Yeah, he is lovable, but you you know cats they go from zero to sixty without warning. That I think that's true. pretty fair. All right, Luke. Let's move on to more prescient things like dick and balls. Uh, here's yes, Devin Haney's him. response to uh, we're gonna get to Devin Haney to close the show, but George Cambos is telling Devin Haney that, about the flight that it's 19 hours from. Uh, from the U.S. to Melbourne, and here's Devin Haney. I know how long the flight is. Long as my dick. Don't try to talk me out, bitch. I'm on my way. Luke, your thoughts on that response? Have you seen Devin Haney's hog? I mean, I don't know. Is it is he is he right? I one time I one time laughed in high school. One of my friends was asked what he was going to do for an hour long presentation because it was like, how are we going to talk for an hour? And he goes, I'm just going to unroll my hog for an hour. I was like, well, that's, <laughs> it's very funny, actually, but it doesn't help us in the moment. Dude, you know? <laughs> forgotten 90s movie with, with tons of one-liners. Jamie Foxx, Tommy Davidson. Do you remember? You ever see Booty Call? A long time ago. Dude, yes. it holds up. All right? Jamie Foxx like, yeah, my dick's only two inches from the floor. From the ground. Yeah. 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 Oh, Vivica Fox. What a movie, Luke. That's a prime movie. All right. Uh, George Cambosis later countered, Luke. He wasn't talking about hogs, though. I mean, okay. He's... I mean, we're just gonna start talking about each other's genitalia. <laughs> All right, let's keep it going. BC, Here, when you and I break up, are we gonna do this? Well, I you're a so. dickless loser, and I hate your balls. I hate your balls, BC. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, all right. Uh, po- we got some politicians in the wild, Luke. Is this really Bernie at the uh, Vegas airport? You got to blow it up. I can't see. Bro, what? I am not Bernie. <laughs> kind of looks like him, dude. Did I tell you one time I had a 6 a.m.? No, I had a 5.45 a.m. flight out of Vegas. Okay? And I was flying the nubber shit. I was flying Southwest, which is, you know. Roll the dice, fly southwest. That's really how it's, I look at it. It's Gucci spirit, Luke. Yeah. So I was flying southwest. Do you know who was on my flight? And by the way, southwest is like, there's no first class, there's no business class, whatever. John Voigt was on my flight. Let me oh, tell you, John Voigt, this was 2015, 2016, something like that. John Voigt who's was his, looking. F- who's his famous hot daughter? Angelina Jolie. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I was thinking Jody Fisher, but no. Bro, John Voight looked like he was one of those. You ever seen those old dudes who are confused because they can't find the commode and they just yeah. like look kind of helpless? John Voight was looking real helpless at 545 in the morning trying to find the Southwest flight. I was like, damn, bro. Okay, two the years, years ago, I was on a flight with um, Jeff Skunk Baxter. You may not remember him, Luke, but he was the guitarist mm-hmm. of both uh, the Doobie Brothers and Steely Dan. And he had like the walrus mustache. He was a good guitar player. There was a, when he got off the plane, there was a line of people waiting for him with like handfuls of memorabilia for him to sign. Like who's following like 70 year old Jeff Skunk Baxter around the country, knowing that he's going to land and getting like shit signed. It's just weird. Also, one time I was in Dulles and I was boarding my flight. This must have been. Ooh. 2010 2011 something like that i can't be sure about it but i will never forget i get on my or i'm i'm, I'm walking to i gone to the bathroom right before boarding had started because you know using the bathroom on a flight is tough when you're my size and i go to line up and of course work had paid for my travel so i'm whatever the last group is that's the one i'm in of course and i look over to my right and bj penn is just sitting there oh, uh sure. by himself and Governor. there was no 
and there was no one around him. No, and he, you know, this is obviously you know pre-pandemic by a long shot. He's just sitting there, not reading anything, not looking at his phone, just kind of looking around, and not 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 one person in the airport either recognized him or like you know went up to him about it. Uh, defending Lavish Check. Uh, yeah, and then he fist fought someone in front of the, uh, you know, yeah. uh, a- Annie's famous pretzels or whatever. I love what you're like, you know, a guy with a hog this big, it's tough to fit into that that urinal there on the plane. Luke. No, 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 it's not that. I can't. Do, hold on. You've been on those flights. You can't. I can't even put my head up straight. Can you? Barely, Luke. I'm not. Yeah, it's I'm tough, not, dude. It's, it's hard to, like, wash Luke. your hands and stuff. It's like, it's difficult. Yeah. If I called you Armenian Shrek once in a while, would you be upset at me? Nah, that's all right. All right, all right. Some people think Conan Silveira is going to kick my ass for calling him Brazilian Shrek that one time, Luke. He's a nice get, guy, actually. Get in line behind Will Smith and Anthony Smith. All right, Luke, uh, speaking of presidents in the wild and urinals, this goes together perfectly. <laughs> you wouldn't feel weird using this. I would feel weird using this. <laughs> I'm telling you, R-, R. Kelly'd be into it. I'll tell you that much, Luke. Okay, yeah, all right. Uh, let's get out of here before we're fired. Uh, speaking of urinals, let's let's continue this content, please, Gaff. Thank you. Luke, would you have any uh, performance issues here? <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. I, that's weird. To, dude, by the way, where are you supposed to? Are these automatic? Because I don't see any flushing handles on these things. No, that's got to be That automatic. means there's urine all over the floor. Uh, Luke, check out this donk trying to create a bathroom circus with these restroom stilts. I'm sure it's going to end great. That looks like Mikey, our producer, kind of, right? That, that looks like John Voight on the way to his flight, let me tell you. <laughs> I mean, is there a worse place for your face to hit than a dude men's who, room floor? Uh, who at the airport Chili's overserved this fucker too many Cadillac margaritas, huh? <laughs> All right. Uh, the only thing grosser than that, Luke, is this next video. I know this is a, a, a skit, a bit, but I couldn't do this. You couldn't pay me to do this, Luke. Just like I can't sit in a in a hotel tub because it just feels too gross. Here, let me see. Dude, what the fuck is this? I mean, <laughs> she, wow. I appreciate the show she's providing, but she's a little gross, if we could be honest. I mean, <laughs> let's keep going. Hey, 1X in Singapore. Perfect transition. Let's go to Shatri and company. Luke, did you see the pure joy on the legend himself, Sexayama, who I would love to see pass a PED test uh, after yeah, rallying? He was, I mean, for as 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 non nimbly as he moved, he was fucking shredded. Dude, he is all man. First of all, Shinya Aoki, another legend, almost had him submitted, Luke, and he rallied back. Look at the joy. Okay. Yeah. No, this is this is hotel staff trying to get me to wake up on my trip because I'm so fucking tired. I refuse. <laughs> uh, in the main event, Luke Stamp. Fairtex, I'm sure it's her government given name. She yeah. didn't win, but look at this entrance. Your it thoughts? It was a good fight, actually. Right. I mean, they just do it differently in Singapore, Luke. I love it. Yeah, this is kind of me at all of my wife's parties when I'm <laughs> in Colombia. I bet you they all they only talk Spanish to each other and they ignore you constantly, Luke. No, they're pretty nice. They treat me real good. I'd be lying okay. if I said I was mistreated. Uh, Luke, then again, they could be using a bunch of slang I don't know and then fucking absolutely assaulting me verbally, but I, I don't know that either. So, Luke, remember when Nganu won the title and Dana didn't show up to put the belt around him and acted like yeah. he was busy? Shatri yeah. did something weird here. Here's Shatri Sidyong Tong uh, after Nong O won a one title. Basically like, here, hold this shit. I don't care. And there was one time, by the way, uh, 
he came out one time with a mask that was like below his nose and i'm like you don't need that mask if you're gonna just wear it that way and what then is he the upset next time at? he came out he had no mask at all he was like fuck it but why is he pissed at Nong Oh? Did he vote him off the island on Celebrity Apprentice uh, One Championship Edition, Luke? I don't. I don't know how. I, I don't know enough about One's inner workings to know if there's some kind of. Beef All right, uh, sick knockout alert, Luke. Christian Mabili sent Najib Mohammed Mohammedi, excuse me, to the land of winning ghosts, as you would say, dude. We have two angles of this. This is insane. It happened in Montreal. S- Oh. oh, that's like a Ric Flair bump right there, right? That's crazy. Man, he sat him down. That, you know what? That's reminiscent. It was a kick, not a punch, but of the Terry Hedham KO to, um, to Barboza. Uh, Edson Barboza. Yeah, yeah. Just wow, how kind of like the body. I mean, that's not quite. It's, uh, Terry Hedham was like fully stiff when he fell over. That's not quite that, but. Here's the ringside version of it. Yeah, wow. Uh, Mohamedi. Our boxing hardcore fans will remember was a mandatory challenger for Sergey Kovalev a few years back and actually had an HBO main event and got sent to hell there too, Luke. But uh, nice guy there. Calls himself Iron Jib. Big fan of him. Hopefully you'll visit him one day down under, Luke. Uh, by that, I mean hell. Luke, let's lift some weights. Um, You know who's still lifting with gloves, Luke? Your boy Bruce Buffer. Your thoughts? Oh, Buff, what are we doing, fella? <laughs> I mean, he's kind of cut for sixty, right? Hey, listen, I'm not, I'm not knocking the hustle at all. Like, you know, that's great, but it's like, dude, what is it you think these gloves are doing for you? You know what Get, I'm saying? Like, what, what, what is it that they're doing for you? Getting loyal gains, Luke. That's what they're doing. Okay. Hey, no, the weights are getting the loyal gains, but it ain't helping his grip. I can tell you that. All right, let's let's play rate my lift form. Here's former two division champion Conor McGregor. So this is the Alico um, trap bar. Um, does he always work out with an erection? Like, what is he doing? <laughs> remember that. Remember that that phoner he had at the weigh in against yeah. Floyd. Luke? <laughs> he was super. I, I mean, I'll say this: like the form, and, the, and like, dude, why are you wearing the gloves? I, dude, I, I've used this bar. I've used this very bar many, many times. The knurling is not that rough on your hands at all. You, you don't need it. Number one. And number two, the form on this, you should be a little bit forgiving because it's not a strict deadlift. The, the hands are in a sort of a side-by-side position versus over, under, or on top. And so, um, you know, and because there's no bar to pull against you, it gets a little wobbly in the middle, so that's fine. The only thing I'll say on these, these are called power blocks that he's using, which are also great. I don't mind this uh, in terms of the range of motion, but I would just caution everyone. If you're lifting weights, your boy had to get surgery for this very reason I was lifting um, on a bench press, and my el- elbows were too flared out to my side, and it caused on the on the you know the pull down or the 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 the, the eccentric portion of the weight, it caused my shoulder to rip. So Damn. what you actually want to do is you don't want your elbows at your sides, you don't want them flared out. You kind of want them at forty five. That is a safe position for your elbows to be in when you bench, and you also want to make sure that you're you got some good scapular retraction uh, going on in there. Your boy play, Connor, the, play the play the yo, McGregor one one more time. I want to see the last one. Yo, he did. I didn't Connor play, Diesel, bro. Yeah, he's he's been in the weight. He, my man's been in the weight room for sure. Play it one more time. That one seventy beginning here. I think he's coming for that belt, Luke. We'll see. Uh, all right, hold on. There's the curl. Yeah, he was doing the curls. Same thing. I mean, he's cheating him a little bit. You see how he's thrusting with his hip and his and his morning wood or whatever. <laughs> and he's <laughs> maybe, coming off his and he's coming off his heels too a little bit. He's cheat curling him a little bit. Maybe but he beat fine. the Irish curse, Luke. It's possible he has a lot of money. Uh, Luke, do you believe in stretching before lifting? 
Um, sort of, but not really. It actually turns out it can be not that great for you. You actually want to stretch afterwards. Why? All right, what do you think about contortion lifting? Is there a future in that, Luke? Let's check out Let's this see. video. This is fake, right? No. Nope. What the fuck is this? Can we go full screen, Gaffney, please? This is disturbing. What part of Siberia is this? Dude, this is from the moon. This from, you know. Also, this guy contorts his back in the worst way possible and then has to have fucked up mechanical motion as a consequence. He's like, dude. Well, at least I get, have to I get that you rib. like, okay, so for folks who don't realize this, what you actually, you do want your feet a little bit behind your knees and kind of tucked behind you. And if you actually look at the way a certain bench presses is done in, in professional competition, some of them actually don't necessarily make you put your heel on the ground behind you. So when you, when you get your body to go like that, you're actually tightening up all the muscles for maximum push. Taking it a little far, BC, taking it a little far. If your yeah, feet, if your yeah. shins are on the bench, Maybe don't bench. How about that? <laughs> if you can please yourself, you're probably going too far there, Marilyn Manson. Oh, right? he All definitely, right. that dude has definitely asked his own D. I mean, that's just, <laughs> oh, my God. That's a guarantee. That's wow. a guarantee. Uh, Luke, is this an impressive lift or no? I get a lot of lifting videos sent to me. I usually throw them out, but what do you think about this? He's lifting dumbbell racks? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just a standard block pull. It just looks funny for the gram. Okay, That's all it okay. is. You'll notice he yeah. starts pretty high. It's called a block pull. Um, hey, let's yeah, it's, the- le- it's legit. It's legit. It's not a full-on deadlift, but it's legit. I mean, you got to be strong as shit to do that. Like, oh, yeah, like you got to be strong as fuck to Like Shab yeah. once told you, you got a problem with the 400? Remember that? Uh, no, Shab can, Shab can, like, with not great technique, he can deadlift six, which is horsepower strong i mean yeah, that's he's, he's strong, strong as shit that guy uh it's time to visit the barbershop luke you, luke you like uh luke excuse me you like art you like tattoos how about this razor ramon haircut in honor of the late scott hall your thoughts i mean it's good that this guy getting his haircut doesn't have a job All right, uh, let's move on to the next haircut. Luke, the future is so bright for this guy. He he ordered the Ray-Ban look, Luke. There's a lot of bored white people in this country. Yeah, yeah, there is. This guy's a donk for sure. All right, let's go out in the streets, Luke. Uh, You got any tips on how to avoid the cops? I've never seen this move before. Did he just Granby roll? (laughs) You gotta be shitting me. <laughs> he scrambles free. See a see a copper. <laughs> you know, doing the cartwheel has to freeze them. That's that's probably a decent move, Luke. Dude, he just Tony Ferguson. He was like, "Fuck all." No, you know who he is? That's like the poor man's Michelle Pereira. Yes, yes, indeed, indeed. Uh, Luke, I don't think this video is real, but I was entertained by it. Shout out to former or current Guns N' Roses guitarist Slash for for sharing it. This Asian lady out here taking souls, Luke. Is this some Instagram trick? Yes. Oh, yes. Yes, it is. Okay. All right. You know what? That's like that bitch Obi-Wan. Oh, you want me to fight you, Darth Vader? I'm out of here. See you in the netherworld. Yeah, but you could argue that although Obi-Wan spent most of his career hiding in the desert, he did get the higher ground on that bitch Anakin and and took him out at uh, Mustafar, dude. Yeah, well, Anakin is a hoe. I mean, that that was the worst part about it. They couldn't even make Anakin cool. They had to turn him into a whiny-ass bitch. And it's like, you want me now to believe that this guy turned into Darth Vader? Really? They turned into Robocop and he was a badass. Yeah. All right, Luke, we got to keep this going here before we're here for three hours and you get another job. Uh, Rate that tat. 
Brock Lesnar Super Fan Edition. Oh dear fucking Jesus. That just I don't even want to say what that looks like. That is. <laughs> uh Luke, you a big Dude. Jonas Brother fan? How big? Let's check out this next tattoo. <laughs> Is that a tramp stamp? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is, dude. It really is, okay? Dude, there are some people that... I, was, I, I saw some people getting tattoos yesterday, and some of them were, like, super high quality. Yeah. And then there were some that I was like, you're making a mistake. Well, did this next one show up at the DC tattoo convention? Look, they'll put anybody on a body these days. Even Magomedov has Beulah. Oh, um, you know, it's not terrible. It's not terrible. It's okay. <laughs> uh, Luke, speaking of Hasbula, everybody seems to have a story who met him of getting like their eyes scratched or like their dick punched. <laughs> Did you see this video? I don't know who this guy is, but he turned Hasbula upside down and look at the receipt that the, that the fighting legend is given out here. Okay. So I mean, he it's played me. with him. Ooh. Oh, you know what though? I got to tell you, people putting hands on Hasbulla, yo, fuck them, man. I completely support Hasbulla. Don't pick him up like he's a fucking prop. Somebody needs to make a a, a like a, a compilation of all the fighters who have stories of getting like punched, you know, really hard by Hasbulla, like in the eye, basically, or in the ass. I want to see his highlight reel. That's what I want to yeah, see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, KO of the week, Luke. It wasn't that boxing one. It comes from UAEW27. The man's name is Khaled Awa. Thank you to Kaposa for putting this out there. Wow. Whoa. A little bit off balance, both guys were. <coughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's keep it going here, Luke. We have, oh, there's another video. Wow, look at that. Wow. I don't think that I've ever like seen a, this, this. That looks like a Tyler Rooney. Perry movie knockout. Yeah, it really was. Uh, Luke, this was, uh, we got footage of, uh, as soon as we finished our first um Rooftop Diaries uh, episode with Chuck. Remember that time we all threw up? We finally have the video. We got the Malka security cameras here, Luke. That is lovely. Put that in the Louvre. Yeah. Some drunk asshole slipping in his own puke. <laughs> yes, please. More of that. <laughs> Fuck this guy. And finally, Luke, how much would it cost to get you to do this? Wow. I mean, well, first of all, that guy must have thrown up for like three hours after this. No question about it, dude. No question. Um, I have seen people eat entirely lit blunts. I've seen that. I've never seen someone eat a cigarette butt. Well, the Only good news is the good news is that I don't feel <laughs> like any uh, efforts at you know, scientific progress will be impeded by this man's consumption of good point. Good point. Cigarette and, butts. He seems like a what's the word I'm looking white. for? Idiot. He, yeah, he's white. Yeah. All right, that's the shit, Luke. That was a long one, but worth it. All right. Worth it. With that in mind, we'll wrap this up pretty quickly. BC, time for odds and ends. What do you got? Yeah. So big news here. We know that George Cambosis upset Teofimo Lopez Jr. to get most of the lightweight titles, and he's been linked with. Uh, Vasily Lomachenko and a few others. Lomachenko had to pull out of the fight, of course, because he's on the front lines in the Ukrainian uh, conflict with Russia. But Luke, we've got a winner, and it's Devin Haney. According to ESPN's Mike Coppinger, a big-time deal has been crafted. Devin Haney, who is now a promotional and network free agent after being with DAZN and Eddie Hearn the last few fights, 
uh, is going to come to ESPN Top Rank and Lou DiBella. Lou DiBella promotes George Cambosis, and they worked out a deal. So here's the deal. He's going to fight George Cambosis. Now, Haney has the WBC title. All four lightweight titles will be on the line. It's going to take place this spring in Australia. And there's a rematch clause in there that if Devin Haney wins, they would rematch in Melbourne. And also, I heard there's a potential option on a third fight for the winner if they fight twice and if it's Haney to then fight Vasily Lomachenko on ESPN pay-per-view for all four lightweight titles. Now, that's a big if. He's got to beat Cambosis not only once but twice. But, Luke, we're talking about potential of these young stars finally getting the fights that they deserve, that we deserve as fans. Shout out to Devin Haney for, you know, waiting and then moving when it was time because I know he's got to beat the champ twice, and that's not perfect, but he's got a chance to become a star now because DeZone wanted nothing to do with paying for this fight. Good for him. Somebody else did. Play it up. If he gets all four belts, dude, I mean, who knows what that might do for Tank? Any of these scenarios. There's a lot that could shuffle around due to all of this happening in the way that it is because, as you pointed out, they're carrying with them, whoever wins, all the effing belts. And look, Devin Haney is is the talent's real, and he's had the wins over Gamboa, Linares, Jojo Diaz. There's been some moments where we question him, but... He looks to be legit, Luke. This is going to be a tough fight. He's going to be in enemy territory. We know Cambosis comes for it. We know the crowd is going to be nuts. They'll do a stadium basically down there. But this will be a fun event, and we'll probably see it twice, Luke. I know that all the Australian fans are like, BC, really? You guys counted out Cambosis against Teo. Now you're going to count him out against Haney? I mean, the odds are going to be what they're going to be, Luke, but this should be fun to watch. Yeah, listen, I'm going to keep my mouth shut and just say I can't wait to see what it happens. But um, good for good for all these guys. Good for... Dude, good for Cambosis getting the belts and then bringing them back home and then making the challenger who wants them to come get them. I mean, yeah. I, I realize that you know, we're unifying here, but you know what I'm saying. Um, good for him, dude. Seriously, he or he he earned it times a thousand. So yeah, good for boxing too. Let's let's good make for boxing. Fights. That's right. Let's good for boxing. Yeah. All right, mine is pretty simple, dude. So uh, I'm not sure what to say about this. I don't often come on the show and say what I'm about to say, but this time I have to. John Jones is right. There was an article that came out in the Las Vegas Review Journal over the weekend um, talking about the people who were involved in that. Remember that Chael Sonnen hotel incident? And it got reported as like he beat up a bunch of people who were insulting and maybe even attacking his wife. And then some of the details came out in this article. Now, again, I want to be very clear about this. Like John, like Chael, they're both innocent until proven guilty. We have, And I think John's situation is going to be resolved if it hasn't been already. Um, you know, it is what it is. Uh, and for Chael, he'll have his day in court or whatever's going to happen. But remember, he was initially charged with like five sort of misdemeanor counts. Those were pulled out and they, they charged him with a lot more, including a felony or two count on top of it. This article comes out and talks about the couple that was allegedly attacked. They, it's apparently a dentist and his wife who said that it was entirely unprovoked. What, what really gets worse about it is they, they talked to in the article reportedly, Chael Sonnen's wife, and she said she had taken an Ambien at four and then missed all the brawl and then just woke up with injuries. The couple claims when they saw Chael walking down the hallway, he was muttering to himself, already had a bloody shirt on. Now, I don't know what all of this means, and obviously one can assume what it might mean, and I'm not going to go there because I don't know. All I mean to say is these are relevant details that are serious and they are bad. And John took to Twitter to say, you know, uh, you know, everything I do gets magnified to the nth degree and it's yeah. been crickets for Chael. Dude, he's right. He's right. He's absolutely right about that. There was hardly any coverage about it. Now, I know it's a little bit different because the first story came out 
like Chael was some kind of last action hero and then the story changed and when the story changes you know typically the people lose interest but it's also true that Chael has been like people love love Chael and and the media likes him and the fans like him and most of the fighters like him and I definitely think that has tampened down some of the response to this story which the details again they are alleged but they're heinous they're well, not awesome holes. at all there's legitimate holes in the story that I want to bring up. But first of all, I, I agree. John Jones is basically tweeting out that there's a double standard potentially here. And I, I think he's right because we like Chael and because it was framed originally what? That Chael was walking through the Luxor at 745 or whatever, you know, Something PM like and ran into some donks. And then, you know, of course, uh, Chael apparently t- texted Brendan Schaub that one of them insulted his wife. So he was just defending himself. So we took on this hero vibe of, oh, God, Chael did what, well, Will Smith did, right? Chael did what what any real man would do, right? And, you know, then Chael gets dropped to the charges and we come on MK and we're like, wow, Teflon Chael, man, he, you know, like nothing can touch him. He's undefeated. But now the story's coming out. And what's interesting, Luke, is the dentist heard the comments from Shab on the podcast that's echoing what, what we thought it was framed as, and then was like, no, no, no. First of all, he's saying he's claiming it happened at um, the Four Seasons, which is a little bit down the strip next to the Mandalay Bay from the Luxor. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if Chael had uh, an incident at the Luxor and then returned to his hotel at the Four Seasons because this doctor oh, and his see. wife are claiming when Chael showed up there, he had a torn, bloody shirt around his throat and he was shoeless. And he not only knocked out a dude who walked by him, he put this doctor in a chokehold and jacked up the wife and she was bleeding. And it's a really scary story, Luke. And then there's those details about his wife who claims she had the Ambien but woke up with all these bruises and is claiming Chael didn't hit her. So, I mean, there's a lot that we don't know still, but there's a lot that's disturbing about this. And um, ESPN has said he won't appear on anything until the situation is resolved one way or yeah. the other. Like, I mean, again, I'm not here to say that Chael's record is the same as John's. I mean, there's meaningful differences between the two. But to John's point that like, dude, relative to what he is being accused versus what people are saying out there. You know, and again, if he had done that, which again, it would be a very different thing for all of the previous incidents he's been involved in. This one, I think, is Chael's. I don't know if he's had many run-ins with the law. Not that I can recall offhand. I mean, there was the real estate thing, but we're talking about violent acts in public. The point I'm trying to make here is you don't see a lot of chatter about it, and there, it's serious. It's super serious. Well, again, alleged, but it's serious. I saw an interview that was recent with, at the Eagle FC fight with the Schmo, and he asked it comedically, but asked Chael about the incident. Chael just kind of defended it and deflected it, like just went on to the next topic and whatever. Um, but Luke, there's also like, you know, if you read the story further, um, the security team that showed up because Chael allegedly assaulted somebody. Then as this couple was walking back to the room, knocked a drink out of a different guy's hand and assaulted him and then assaulted the guy and his wife as they're pleading to, to stop. And then a security game came, Ch- Chael is kneeing these guys in the face and elbowing them and just putting on like a full MMA clinic against whoever comes, you know, after him. So I don't know if that Luxor incident preceded this or if it didn't happen, but there's a lot of unanswered shit related to this. And, and you know, the core of what you said is right. Anything that happens to John Jones because of his track record and because he's not even close to as likable, a fair or not, as a public character, uh, we tend to think the worst. And in this case, we just automatically were like, oh, God, Chael defended his wife. Well done, man. 
Good for you. But learn your lesson. Never go to the Luxor again, right? You know, yeah, no, yeah. no, Luke, no. Yeah. I mean, if for no other reason, I just don't want bed bugs. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, indeed, indeed, yeah. All right, so that's it for us. Damn, we did a two and a half hour show today. Uh, we got to get out of here. Uh, BC. It was, it was strong. It was strong. It was strong. Shit. It was a good show. It was a good show, but it was it was still long. So let me remind everyone, the Gilbert Burns interview. I think we sat with him for 45 minutes. It will be out tomorrow. We're also going to get out either tonight or tomorrow. We'll get out extra credit. We'll talk all about one championship and, of course, the stuff we missed from the UFC. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, Showtime.com is the label that pays. Showtime.com. Get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, pound sand. The email for the show, morningcombat at gmail.com. Send us there for Wednesday's fan subs, Friday's dead wrong. By the way, we're going to have a little fun this week, so send us everything you possibly can. Morningcombat at gmail.com. Yeah, and, slow um, fight week. Slow fight week this slow week, fight in week, case yes. you haven't noticed. We're going to have some fun. Uh, YouTube.com slash Morning Combat. Luke, it's not just three live shows, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern on the YouTubes. We hit you up with interviews. We hit you up with extra credit later today. Also, I chatted with uh, Derek James, the, the fantastic boxing trainer, who's going to be in Errol Spence's corner coming up against Ugas. Also, he's Jermel Charlo's trainer ahead of this Castaño rematch. Very insightful chat. Not only was, was uh, Derek James great to chat with, but afterwards, Luke, he was like, about time I showed up on this show. I'm like, you know, it won't be the last. won't be the last. Yeah, okay. won't be the last, Derek. I, I guarantee that. So be on the lookout for that as well. Tons of content coming your way. So like the video, hit subscribe. Um, thanks to everyone, to Malka, to CBS Sports, to Showtime. You can follow us there. Again, at L. Thomas News on uh, TikTok if you're interested in the TikTokness of yeah. it all. Um, and then that's it for us today. Thank you so much for watching. We greatly appreciate it. We'll talk to you guys on Wednesday. Be on the lookout for the Gilbert Burns interview. And until next time, may all of your gains. Be loyal.